Hello everybody, my name is George and welcome to the Purple Podcast. The year is now 2023. We have left the horror of 2022 long in the past. Let a new year of horror soon come upon us. It's time for the first episode of the new year. So I am George, as I have said. With me, we have David Forrest. David, how are you doing? Hello. I'm well. Yep. Cool. Oh, <laughs> all right. Short and sweet. And with us, we have a special guest today, who is Stuart Everson, a friend of ours from Ramblings About Wrestling and lately Marshmallow Bomb, which is a new collaborative writing project that myself and him are involved in, as well as uh, other of our comrades. Stuart, how are you doing? I'm great. Very happy to be here. Delighted to uh, be taking place on the January 4th show, the big one, obviously. The big one, yes. Stuart <laughs> is a longtime listener, first time caller. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Stuart, how did you find out about this podcast? Because we're not exactly easy to find. Um, You know, I can't really remember. I imagine, though, it is because there aren't many wrestling podcasts that also tweet about Scottish football, which is kind of a cross-section that I fall quite nicely into. So I suspect it was seeing a tweet on Twitter and then going from there, because I can't think of how else I would have done it. This is fucking vindication, George, for all those years of, <laughs> oh, David, you're cluttering up the timeline with tweets about third Lanark and shit. Yeah, this is vindication. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, this is our raison d'etre. Like, we need to be enabled in some way. And Stuart's longtime support of our podcast goes some way towards doing that. You're, you're not going to be the one to save us from ourselves. And for the first time ever on the podcast, we have a Scottish majority. It is every Tory's nightmare. So what we're going to do is we are going to open, as we always do in our January the 4th episode, with the New Japan Rambo. So Wrestle Kingdom 17, there were a few matches on the pre-show, actually. There was an Antonio Noki tribute match featuring some of the old-timers. There was the debut of the future ace of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Oleg Bolton, the Kazakh King. And we are actually going to be reviewing his debut match, but on one of the USSR episodes, which we are going to complete the series of sometime this year. But we did have a New Japan Rambo, as we always have done since I think about 2015 was the first time they did one of these. Essentially, it's a Raw Rumble. It's on the pre-show and they put in folks who are not on the main card. Now, I looked at the lineup for this match before watching it and... To say that I gritted my teeth and went, oh, this isn't going to be very good, is it? Is possibly putting it lightly. Please, Gado, please, I'm begging you, a crumb of the great Kabuki. <laughs> yeah, there was a real lack of like a Scott Norton or Billy Gunn presence. Yeah. He's like the person who turns Where up. Where is Kendall Cashin? Like, yeah. <laughs> Minoru Tanaka, just... heat himself. Do you know what I mean? Cashin, anybody. Kendall Cashin's fully booking this show if you listen to The Observer. <laughs> We didn't have any of that. It's just people who you kind of forgot existed and people who it's actually quite depressing to see him on the pre-show. We'll get to a few of those. Nobody's with the House of Torture, everyone's favourite stable. This is the first time I'd heard their theme, really. Is it good or not? I can't decide. It's like this weird electronica. Stuart's shaking his head. <laughs> oh, it's not very good. I, I don't think there's much, like... 
This is also when I discovered that show's nickname is Murder Machine, which is just a really bad nickname. Name my new grindcore band. Yeah, what, what a exactly. difference, like, two years of completely ignoring this product does when you're like, ah, yes, show, the murder machine. I'm sorry, what? Have <laughs> <laughs> I missed a memo? Yeah. I can't even remember the House of Tortures music, which does not bode well. It's I mean, mostly it's no beats campus. and stuff, like video game, 8-bit title music. It's the kind of thing that if that could be the kind of stuff that I like if it was done competently. And, if, and if it wasn't attached to the House of Torture, I imagine, <laughs> yeah, like if someone else came out to that noise. music. <laughs> um, and so we have Show, the murder machine, apparently. And the second entrant is... Someone I assume David really liked because he is an immobile tree man, and that is David's favourite type of wrestler, Hikaleo. He's His entrance video appears to have the hiragana for Ma taking the place of the E in his name because it looks similar, which is like Indian restaurant menu shit. It's just like whenever I see books and they're like in Russian font, and it's always like the R's backwards, and I'm like, that's a yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. I love the music of Koyan like anybody else, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> right, Hikuleo is not Camacho. Who is Camacho <laughs> no, again? Camacho is Tangaloa. Um, Tangaloa. I liked Camacho. I don't like Tangaloa, but I liked Camacho. <laughs> Hunico and Camacho, were good. We tag team came out in their bike, all that. <laughs> yeah, Much a low rider bike. Um, no, no, Hikuleo is he's another of Meng's kids because he, he went by the name Leo Tonga. So he's, I think he's Tamatonga's brother. He'd first turned up years ago just because he was very tall and he was pretty awful the first time I saw him. He's definitely got a bit better, but I don't think he's got particularly... I mean, he's still just a big lad, isn't he? That's all he's got, really. Yeah, but the Great Carly is is basically that. And people, not naming any names, David, seem to love the Great Carly. <laughs> I, I was going to say... If anything, he's got a bit better as to his detriment. And like, you don't, I don't want him to be good. I, I don't want him to have like in-ring technique. I just, I just want him to swing about his branches. And that's all I need. And then we start getting the people for whom it's actually quite depressing to see them in this match. Another House of Torture member, Evil, is here. Former IWGP heavyweight champion. Oh, my now, God. No, I don't even like Evil that much, but I was still so sad to see him here. I know, I felt so bad for the guy. I was like, mate, you need to fucking, you need to walk in and just demand a copy of your contracts just to put the heebie-jeebies on them because you need to fucking sort this. What on earth is going on with it? Yeah. I mean, um, the thing is, if you have people like Ishii here, like having Ishii in this match is fine. He's not got anything to do on the main card. He's a veteran. He's someone you can stick in to hold up an end, as it were. But guys like Evil are meant to be the fucking future. He's also like the second guy eliminated as well. So it's even worse. He's actually the first. Oh, the fuck's first sake, is he? Jesus. <laughs> he went... Because the last full New Japan show I watched, he was the champion. And then I turned this <laughs> on and he was the first person eliminated from the Rambo. That <laughs> is... Just, oh. That is depressing. Speaking of depressing, uh, Kent is here as well. He's in this match. He's got long hair now. It's kind of, it's kind of hot. I'm not going to lie. Like he's he looking. No, there's a man with a theme tune. I love Kent's theme tune. It's basically a god flesh outtake. That's basically what it is. <laughs> it is. Like if you told me Justin Broderick wrote that, I'd be like, oh yeah, of course he did. It sounds so much. It's up North Street Cleaner. That if anything, I can forgive the fact that Kent has not had a good match in about eight years. <laughs> basically, since he faced Ricky Marvin, and that, that's about it. 
he's having a lovely time, though. I mean, he was doing like a weird power walking thing. To, he seems to just be having a nice time. Yeah, I've so, got, this, I've got this written down. It reminded me of the episode of Malcolm in the Middle where Hal gets into race walking. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, was... I don't know why he's doing it. The crowd seemed to laugh at it. So I guess it must be a reference to something. But I've no idea what it might be a TV program. He spent or something. a lot of time being kicked in the head and dropped on his head. He just wants <laughs> to now mess around and do like power walking on the future show. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Who, yeah. Who's going to uh, hold it against him? <laughs> other positives that I've got written down: Great O'Khan looks cool with his uh, entrance gear, Rev, uh, Rev Pro Legend. Ishii and the primal bro Aaron Hanare hitting each other. Hanare getting outed as a MRA lifestyle guy on his alt this year. One of the funnier things that happened in New Japan in 2022. He sent me a message on Twitter thanking me for being nice to him in reviews. And I feel like I shouldn't have been nice to him now that he's <laughs> become the kind of person who tweets about alpha males all the time and stuff like that. I just feel feel bad now. Yeah, I, I bet he's big into semen retention. They all, all, seem, all these people <laughs> yeah. seem to be. I enjoyed and never tag team i've enjoyed too much in recent years i did enjoy tmdk in this shane haste when he came in he provided a little bit of excitement they did some cool double teams and they had a thing against jeff cobb and great okan so that was uh that was cool and a funny moment involving them where rocky romero tried to go old school on shane haste <laughs> and then mikey nichols just walked over and crotched him and then they shoved him out <laughs> that was very funny i enjoyed that but i think my highlight of wrestle kingdom was it was a bit tainted a little bit, to be honest. I, I don't know if you know, but like Suzuki Gun has like completely imploded and evolved yeah, under own factions. And Zack Sabre Jr. has joined TMDK. <laughs> yes. Right? Somebody just tweeted, the mighty don't tweet, right? Which I thought <laughs> is, an, is an excellent, an excellent post until I realised that they meant it as a compliment. And I was like, ah, mate, you, you, had, you had it right there in your hands. Let, let's be honest, it was the fucking Super J cast who posted it. Who, by the way, were being very, very salty about the fact everyone had told them New Japan was shit for two years and they should just pack it in. Yeah, and, fucking... and, you, and you know what? It's because it was. Yes. And like the fact <laughs> the show went down well and seemed like it was good on the whole does not change the fact that New Japan has been largely shite since about 2019. Or indeed the fact that I will not watch any of this. <laughs> for the rest of the year until next year when we review January the 4th. <laughs> yes, indeed. And and, and that is the Pur Pur podcast guarantee. <laughs> right. Speaking of entrance themes being complete ear torture, El Phantasmo's theme with the sort of like... <laughs> at the start oh, yeah. Of it, I thought Tomaraki Homa was coming out. <laughs> I thought they'd given him a sort of <laughs> I'll show you, you'll see type of thing at the start of his theme. And I was like, that's very cool. The man's got no vocal cord. Apparently that's what El Fantasmo's <laughs> theme sounds like. <laughs> Tomiaki Homa is coming, motherfuckers. Um... <laughs> <laughs> then I've got written down, everyone gangs up on Tai Chi and chucks him out. Relatable. Tai Chi has formed a, his own stable called Just Four Guys. I saw this today. <laughs> which, like... That is, even by New Japan stables don't exactly have like the greatest names in the world, but those, <laughs> just no effort to put in there at all. No. Is Yoshinobu Kanemaru in it? You better fucking believe he is. It's, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's Taka, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Taichi, and who else is it? It's not Desperado, is it? Maybe it is. No. Mm, no. Desperado's no. doing stuff with oh, it's, Suzuki. It's Doki. It's Doki. Have you ever met a group of four people you want to be in the pub with less than <laughs> just four guys. Like, oh my like, God. 
Tai Chi is the guy in that stable then, presumably, which that's not really what you want. <laughs> no, it? <laughs> it's not. I think actually after this, we get the most depressing entrant in this match, which is Shingo Takagi. Now, Shingo Takagi, last year, one year ago, Wrestle Kingdom 16, he was the IWGP heavyweight champion going into it. Main evented the last yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, he main evented Wrestle Kingdom, and now he is in the pre-show rumble. Like, fucking hell, that guy's stock has... Look, when you think of some of the fuckers who did have singles matches on this show, (laughs) naming no names, Carl Anderson, but... Is there any other sort of similar trajectory for someone? I was trying to think of WrestleMania. I think, weren't Daniel Bryan and Sheamus, weren't they... They were meant to be on like the pre-show after they fought for the world title and stuff. And yeah, I, yeah, that was the that was the idea. I think Bailey hosted the show a year after she was in the women's title match. Yeah, like it's just but Jesus Christ. Like he's not like a young guy, but he's a guy who's in his prime. Like he shouldn't yeah. be doing stuff with fucking El Fantasmo on the pre-show. And you know what, right? See, if he won it, I'd be like, all right, okay, you've given it to Shingo Takagi. Yes, he shouldn't be in the Rambo, but he's won it. Gets him out there, you know, he's having a nice wee day out. He's at the Tokyo Dome, he's won a match, you know, you'll get a trophy, huzzah for the shopkeep, all that. Nah. No. No. Well, actually, well, uh, well the problem with the Rambo is a fucking... Is that no one yeah, exactly, that no one yeah. wins. <laughs> this is yeah. one of the reasons why it is shite is because... You have four winners. It's like the fucking Intertoto Cup. You don't actually have one winner. You have multiple ones. Then they go through to a four-way for the King of Pro Wrestling title, which doesn't even take place at Wrestle Kingdom this year. It takes place at New Year's Dash. I think Shingo did win it, but like he doesn't win anything on the night. He is one of four people, one of which is the Murder Machine, one of which is the Great Okan, and one of which is the king of the New Japan Rambo, Toriyano. He's at it again. Right. Did you do... Anything at the back. No, 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 he did not. Yeah. No, so Which what is a great I, recurring bit like, I, <laughs> that he I, wins by doing nothing. I struggle to see where he goes from here, right? Because the problem, right? So basically, I can tell you exactly everything Yano did in this act. Because, of course, as anyone who, who listens to this podcast knows, I am a huge Yano fan. What was the only match I'm from New Japan I watched last year, George? It was it was the dog cage match, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was Toriano versus Minoru Suzuki in the dog cage match. A strong style classic for the ages, six and a half stars. I love Yano. He's the only person I watch in the G1. He's the best. He's the only reason that we do... Genuinely, the only reason we do this, the Ramble, every year is because I insist on it because I want to go what Toriano is up to. But he came in. He had his entrance. He spent about four hours coming down the ramp, hawking his DVD and his shirt and his sash, not getting into the ring. And then I think they just went back to the action for a wee bit. And then Yano was in it for, I am genuinely thinking about three seconds. And then he went underneath the ring. I don't know. He didn't even show him in the ring. They just panned to like a couple of minutes later with Yano on the floor looking like he'd been eliminated. And I'm like, is that him? Like, is that actually just a little... What the fuck? Gado's lost it. This, <laughs> it's, it's New Japan's in terminal decline. They'll never recover from this. And I was, I was sitting there. So for the rest of the match, I was like, they fucked this up something. Awful. Yano's been eliminated. You know, where is his cookie shenanigans, whatever. And there was another 10 minutes of the match. And then at the end, it was like, there was just three guys in the ring. And he went, ding, ding, ding. And I was like, 
all right, okay, what happened? And then Yano just like rolled out from underneath the ring. <laughs> he just said, oh, I've won. And it's like, it's a superb bit. But I want to ask, George, what do they do next year? Does he do it via Zoom? I think the ship sailed on that. If you're going to have him come in via Zoom, it had to be at the height of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 2021 was the year to do it. So it's like, that would be, yeah, just via Zoom, just like wheel in like a fucking projector or something like that with him <laughs> on Zoom and just been in the ring. Yeah, you go. The, the, um, the, thing, the thing about the Yano spot this year is that it didn't even have the effect that they wanted it to have because at the end, Okan's also on the outside, just chilling. So like, Yano's not even the only one who's being cowardly and not getting in the ring. There's like a second guy doing the same spot. Except maybe, he's not maybe, under the that, ring. maybe that's what they do next year. Is that like, like four guys just sit at yes. different parts and just sit in chairs and have wee drinks or whatever, just wait for everyone else to get eliminated, and then. Surely you could get to the point where everyone gets eliminated and the last four people who enter are just the ones who go through. Um, I yeah, thought you were going to say, surely get to the point where everyone just sits on the outside and brawls and no one gets into the ring. Literally, literally the reverse battle wall from TNA. Yeah, literally, yeah. Yeah. And the like, Rambo is three hours long because no one will get into the ring. The, the end sequence is pretty decent, like with... Um, show and phantasmo ganging up on shingo and then show accidentally bumping phantasmo out phantasmo also does a kofi kingston type thing by getting shoved out grabbing the railings and then getting carried back to the ring which would have been i mean it was fun but we've already seen kofi kingston do it the ending was good otherwise this was fairly wretched i honestly think there's at least four or five people in this that they just never showed their elimination genuinely i think that there's several people in there who just disappeared like they just vanished into thin air there was no longer there at one point i was like where the fuck is you know fucking yota suji what what's got what no well you know he's abroad which brings me back to my other criticism not only were there no legends there weren't even any young lions there's not one of my favorite rambo spots which is the risk that if anyone leaves their feet they'll be swarmed by like eight skinny guys in black trunks (laughs) i maintain the, the opener for Wrestle Kingdom every year should be... Remember at WrestleMania 30 when they did the women's match? Yes. And it yes. was like thir- a 13-woman match. It yeah. was like eight minutes and it was just people going, ah, try to jump on each other, just try to pin. Do that, but it's all young lions and it's just like this human centipede of a Boston crab. And like a, a perfect circle of people in Boston crabs. I have just Tokyo Dome, all the young lions, they get their match. Winner gets a giant fucking T-urn or something like that. And it'll be, it'll be the best match all year. Utter dog shit. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the, the other reason why this is, is rubbish, and I've realised this between last year and this year, is that the problem is you can't have a jobber rumble. It can't just be mid-cards and undercards, because the reason the Royal Rumble works in WWE, or at least the reason it should work, I mean, it fucking didn't in 2022, but there's the anticipation that at any moment a big name might emerge. The reason the 2001 Rumble is so good isn't especially because of the action, because a lot of the action in Royal Rumbles is quite generic, but it's so perfectly paced. Every time there's a lull in the match, and you think, oh, nothing's happened for a little bit, like The Rock will come out, or Stone Cold Steve Austin will come out, but you have to have the Or the, the fucking honky-tonk man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, something arresting like that's going to be a big star or a fun return or something like that. But if you don't have those, then you can't pace the match like that because there's nothing to build to. So it's just lads, isn't it? They're all lads. They're all headphones. <laughs> oh, are they all headphones? I-, I wanted to ask a question. I'll ask you to. You've got three names. Who, who, to you pick three guest spots in the Rambo. Who are you picking? 
anyone alive? That is a very good question. Um, Fujiwara's been in it a few times. Get Yoshiaki Fujiwara. Uh, the great Kajika. Like, <laughs> just get the oldest bastards. Mike Jackson from Impact. He's like fucking 82 or something. <laughs> the oldest bastard you can think of. Get him in the ring, see what they can do. Well, that's why I loved it. So I had to try and explain the the, the appeal of the Anoki six man to Linda. Because mm. it was literally just Tetsubi Fujinami and his pants and a scarf waddling to the <laughs> ring. Right. And I was like, this match, this ramble should really have just ended with the lads from the Inoki Six Man coming out and just beating everyone up and throwing them. That would yeah, be the I, ideal way to do it because you just want old lads to turn up, slap these youngsters into place, and then you maybe get a nice moment at the end when someone who's not appeared in New Japan for ten years wins and everyone claps, and then you go home. It's it's all you need, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's one of those. So I I had three names, well four really, but three names. So we got Bob Sap, right? First name oh, yeah. of the team sheet, right? <laughs> of course. And then, of course, if the choice I make for every question we do this, Akebono and Rio Tahama, just so they can get a callback <laughs> to Bob Sapp and Akebono, then go fry Takiyama each other. And then the winner, the person who should have won this, should have been, and this was the Anoki Holograms year, where they, I, I'm genu- <laughs> I am genuinely quite surprised that they, they didn't concoct some way for Antonio Anoki to win this, right? Genuinely. Where I was like, they could do a hologram, but it could be in his will. I would not be surprised if it was in Israel that I must win the Rambo the year after I die via Hollywood. Or like, you know how like in DDT when like a random object's won the Iron Man belt? Yes, yeah. Antonio Inoki's yeah. earn or something like that winning the Rambo would have been amazing. That's what I thought. Get someone to come in just to nail people with the urn and then like, ceremonially put it in the middle of the ring, jump over the top rope. Congratulations, Antonio Inoki. Another W in the column. The best Rambo ever. Six stars. Stuart, who would you put in it? Oh, I don't, I can't, don't know if I can beat Antonio Inoki's urn. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't, because Antonio Inoki's urn's going over, brother. Um, I think it does just, I think it's right, the old guys. I did love the old Scott Norton turning up from a classic old one. Just, I love when you have someone like, like Scott Norton, who, when they come out, you have that moment of everyone going, Oh, 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 that kind of mixture of slight excitement and also, why are you here? Uh, so you need like <laughs> well, when your I, when Scott I, when Norton. I get into a room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scott or cheeseburger is another good one for that. Uh, yes, like, yes. When they just fly cheeseburger over to do the Rambo. I mean, he can't hang out with Liger now. Which yeah, Liger, Liger was that man's meal ticket. He's gone. But yeah, give me uh, Scott Norton, Cheeseburger, and I don't know, Billy Gunn or whatever. Oh, nowadays, Sting. Get Sting in there. He's oh, doing everything yes, else. Please. Throw Sting he, in there. He has actually competed on January 4th at Wrestle Kingdom. And it yeah, was, so he go. wrestled in Oki, actually, at the Dome. And it was fucking dog shit. <laughs> the other idea, I think, you know how um, if you win the Open, you are have an invitation for life to, oh, to yes. go play in the Open? Yeah. I think they should do that for IWGP champions. Where if you win the IWGP belt, you can turn up in a ramble any year you like. Yes, I just want Salman Hashimakov to turn up in a track <laughs> every year. But do you know what? Might make people actually want to watch the ramble because, like, oh my God, fucking Kazuki Fujita might turn up again. Kazuki Fujita's probably been prepped for another run with the GHD heavyweight titles <laughs> as, as we speak. I mean, the thing about there being no old guys in this rumble that's as maybe but Keiji Muto was on the main card so I guess that's your old guy quotient so that is the New Japan Rambo so what we decided this year as you may have gleaned from 
our talk just now. None of us actually watch New Japan at the moment. We're not in the <laughs> habit of doing so. And so we thought, well, you know what? We might not review Wrestle Kingdom this year, apart from the Rambo, obviously, but maybe we could just reach back into the past and look at some of the classic matches that have taken place on other January the 4th shows. I'm thinking of stuff like, for example, the trilogy of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada matches for the IWGP heavyweight title, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Kazushi Sakuraba from Wrestle Kingdom 7, which is an incredible 10 minutes, but if you've not seen that, and reaching back even further into the past, and a match we've actually reviewed on this podcast before, Antonio Inoki versus Vader from 1996, which is probably the last great Antonio Inoki match. You know, January 4th, it's a, it's a storied date in the professional wrestling calendar in Japan. There's a lot we can go at, a lot of real classic matches. And to that end, we have decided to review every single Raku match from Tokyo Joshi's January 4th shows. All the big hairs. We'll not be taking any questions at this time. Uh... <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. The thing is about this, like, we're all down in London for wrestling in November, and I think, Stuart, you asked us what we were doing for January the 4th this year, because last year we did Gake no Fuchi Pro because we wanted something more obscure than Tokyo Joshi. But the thing is, you can't actually go more obscure than Gake no Fuchi if you want a promotion that actually makes tape and that you can watch. And Purely as a joke, I said, why don't we just review every Raku match from January the 4th? And as with a lot of things on this podcast, something I said as a joke, we actually decided, you know what, that actually actually be pretty funny. Shall we do it? But the more I thought about it, the more I thought it would actually be pretty interesting because the idea of teching one day a year from each wrestler, that is actually the conceit from the novel One Day by David Nichols of Start of a Ten fame. We're just looking in periodically to see how someone is developing as a performer, what is happening in the promotion, and really telling the story of one single wrestler through a number of matches at intervals. We're not going to be covering the matches in the granular detail that we usually do on this podcast because we have six matches to get through and not an awful lot of time. So I think I'm just going to get straight into it. So our first match, and you can watch all of these on Wrestle Universe, by the way, which I would very much recommend subscribing to, because not only do you get Tokyo Joshi, you get DDT, Noah, Ganbare Pro, and loads of other stuff. It's a very good value. So the first match, Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling, Corican Hall, January the 4th, 2018. It is a tag match pitting Raku and Hikari versus Miu and Hinano. So we're going to explain who these girls are these newbies this is the debut match for all four we're going to explain who they are after the match because there's a segment involving them that takes place after the match which will really contextualize this so we'll just do the match first tokyo joshi is it's recognizable from what it is now back in 2018 but it is a little bit weird so the musical performance is actually it's done by the lads the cause the ira ito respect army of maki ito and mizuki performing a setsu nairu and also very weird, Yuki Aino is the ring announcer rather than a wrestler, which I completely forgot had happened. So, oh, shit. Yeah, that, that did used to be her job. So there's kind of an uncanny valley kind of aspect to it. We'll get into the match. Now, look, this is everyone's first match. There is no veteran in there to carry things. I don't think this is the worst match we've covered on the podcast before i think that probably has to go to steve the sl teacher versus wang hao or possibly that big sam match or that one from super world of sports which had jim duggan and kamala in it but i have to say this match is probably in the conversation it isn't especially accomplished but really for interesting reasons i think i mean hikari in particular at one point seems to struggle to do a convincing toehold which is perhaps not a great sign is it better than the indian child fight from big egg Barely. 
I, I agree. I, it's one A, one B, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's like death albums. You could conceivably you make an argument for either of them being your favourite. There's no better one than the other. I wouldn't argue if you said the other one was your favourite because, like, well, you know, I don't know which one I prefer. Maybe the Indian Child fight, but it's it's a fag paper between them. The thing is about this, right? Like Tokyo Joshi in 2018 did not have a particularly stellar reputation in terms of the in-ring, to put it mildly. Insofar as people enjoyed Tokyo Joshi, it was generally for the characters and the vibe. There was probably a handful of truly accomplished wrestlers in the promotion. Now, the standard has improved a lot in recent years. And now I would say the in-ring in Tokyo Joshi is actually is actually for the most part very good. But yeah, certainly the dojo did not have a reputation of churning out great workers. You weren't getting rookies of the caliber of someone like Utami Hayashishita in stardom who had a you know exceptionally good rookie match or I mean, someone like Suzu Suzuki who took to it extremely quickly. Yeah, I mean, even if you compare the difference between the debuts that they're putting out now and that this is the kind of match you would expect to see in a wrestling training school. Like they're going <laughs> yes. through basic, well, to focus in on Raku, I guess, you see Raku in this, like the first thing she does is like very basic uh, lockups into like a hammer lock, which Raku would never bother doing like that's just not like part of what she would do nowadays but it's like she has just learned these five or six things that she now knows how to do so she does it and they all basically have their five or six things that they know how to do and they do and they don't even really know how to do all of them that well but they can <laughs> yeah do them. Um, hinano goes for a pin off of a snap mail it's like it's the fucking 50s <laughs> never see that anymore and when they do try to do something a little bit more complex it doesn't tend to go so well. So Hinano goes for a body slam and that is blocked by an extremely rough looking small package from Hikari. Kind of almost turns into a DDT. <laughs> like, ooh, that looked a bit that looked a bit hairy. Raku's moves, she has a couple of moves. If we're focusing on Raku, she has, uh, did a Russian leg sweep, which looked hmm. completely fine. She did some overhand she still chops. Uses she she does still well, use it. Yeah. And the overhand yeah. chop she does, which... Uh, Again, a, a tribute to her idol, the great Carly, David's favourite wrestler. So one of the stories about Raku, actually, she made the chops part of our repertoire from literally the very start of her wrestling career. She uh, prayed at Rikidozan's grave to absorb his powers because he was so known for his chops. Therefore, she is the best wrestler in the world and I will not be taking questions at this time. And obviously the natural successor to Rikidozan, <laughs> as I think uh, yes, anyone absolutely. Her knows. I was going to say, at least until Gado takes my Anoki's urn idea up and puts that into practice, yeah. <laughs> as long as she literally doesn't mirror Rikidozan in any aspect of his personal life whatsoever, <laughs> I think she'll be fine. And if you'd like to learn more about Rikidozan's personal life, you can buy a very good novel. <laughs> I think Raku, uh, if she had Rikidozan's success, would not be spending the money on as much uh, drugs and more just on trains. So I think she'd be <laughs> yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed. So the couple of moves Raku does here generally fine but there's a particularly sloppy sequence between her and Hinano which there's a judo throw which leaves Raku off balance and Hinano just belts her in the chest to end it and Raku does seem kind of thrown and hesitant after that for the rest of the match I, I think bless her she is a weak link even amongst <laughs> these four yeah no, you can kind of see that some of them are beginning to figure out like what like Mew is already obviously pinned as the strong one like she already does a bear hug she uh, wins with the backbreaker thing i think she's still the using and stuff yeah 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 and hikari kind of has that kind of screaming and charging around rookie thing raku still doesn't really seem to have a thing at this point she is just 
she's got her overhead jobs and that's kind of it whereas the others at least seem to have figured something out about what they're going to be as wrestlers but yeah she's not really there from that point of view what else do you need Stuart like she does great Kali overhead jobs <laughs> she's got all the tools the, um, the great Kali was world champion with that move set exactly I would say, right, obviously we know we're talking about how this is their first ever debut match and stuff like that. You know, we can't expect perfection or anything like that. But what was the first match in Wrestle Kingdom this year? <laughs> yeah, that that is true. A, a fucking debut match from Oleg Bolton. Like, his first ever match. Yeah, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the sale in the Boston Crab. That was this match. Okay, that was it? good. Yeah, I, I, oh, that I, I, I like that a lot. And then she fell on the Boston Crab. And went, yeah, oh, she it. did, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, don't pick me up again. It was, it was I loved that. I thought that was one of my favourite sales of, especially because it's a Boston Crab. It's not like some awful Zack Sabre Jr. move where he's got like all four of your limbs tied in a fucking Christmas bow. It's a Boston Crab. <laughs> and she's absolutely screaming like she's in a Saw film. And I loved it. I have to say it's a very convincing portrayal of four women who aren't good at wrestling at all because they aren't good at wrestling at all. <laughs> so in in that sense, it was a it was a huge success. So that was the match. It was short and terrible, but it, that's kind of what I expected. So I didn't mind it very much. I am actually. I, I think you're absolutely right about they are already positioning them as having their own little niches or Miu and Kari certainly because I was surprised by how much of their current souls there was here not just from the way they wrestle but also their entrance themes are all the same I was hugely struck by that Hikari's kind of heavy metal theme Miu's like not as muscular or as uh, vivacious as she is now but Hikari's got she's already got a lot of ear piercings and I always just assumed she had got those done later. She kind of leaned into her old girl persona. It's also quite funny seeing Miu do her entrance and she hasn't figured out all the finger gestures yet. So she just does L signs and bounces around the ring doing L <laughs> signs without the OEV yet. Which yeah, is like, yeah. <laughs> she picked up the other letters as she went through her career. To, uh, to <laughs> hasn't yet finished learning the alphabet. Um, <laughs> yeah. but the- Pre- presumably this was the dance that all of Juan Guaido's staff were doing yesterday when the news came through. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a massive L. <laughs> a massive L. I am obsessed with first ever matches. I would love to see so many wrestlers first ever match because I have a theory that anyone living can have, um, and apparently, you know, with Anoki's aren't anyone dead as well, but I, I believe you can have a wrestling match if anyone. I believe all three of us could have a half decent wrestling match, even if we know nothing about how to wrestle a wrestling match. And I, I love the puzzle of trying to figure out how to make a good wrestling match as someone who has limitations. So having four people who have never had a wrestling match in front of a crowd, first of all, all trying to figure it out at the same time. I, I absolutely loved it. It was great stuff. And yeah, it was it was a formative match. But you know what? I It's not the best in the world, but... We- <laughs> That's putting a fucking line. Yeah, formative but, is such a great euphemism. <laughs> I know, but... <laughs> At what point do we ever like review matches that are like the best matches in the world on this podcast? We review absolute fucking nonsense, like Yes, we, we do. It was better than the Rambo. It, I had it more was fun watching it. It. it was certainly yeah. fucking shorter. It was. There was more young lines. Yeah, yeah, more, yeah. Absolutely. It's more ten times more interesting than the Rambo. Like Yeah, that is that is yeah. fucking short. So yeah, the debut match, we will be um seeing these women again at the next year. But before we do that, we are going to talk about the segment and talk about how these women came to be wrestlers. So at the halftime of the show, they come out again. They come out of Miu's theme because she's the leader. 
and they take a picture with an idol group called the Up Up Girls. Now, the Up Up Girls, you probably know them as a wrestling stable if you're a Tokyo Joshi fan. If you are new to it, you might not know that there are lots of other Up Up Girls who don't do wrestling. They are just an idol group. It's one of these like um, AKB48, SKE48, who have dozens and dozens of members. And for some reason, they partnered with DDT and they decided to have an offshoot, which is just a wrestling stable. So these four auditioned to be wrestlers and idols. So these weren't idols beforehand. It wasn't like a kind of UKI situation or Makito situation. They debuted as wrestlers and idols. And the, the idea was that they were going to do both as official members of the of the Up Up Girls. So they take a picture with the regular Up Up Girls. They introduce themselves. Raku flubs her line, which was which was yeah, great. She, she forgets to say her own name. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> it is. She, great. She, she, they have to remind her to say her own name. Quite, I mean, they've now got this stuff down to a T with their introductions, but yeah, it's not quite there. I mean, we don't get a train of the day yet, for one thing. So no, no, uh... we, we don't. We we should talk. We should talk about the trains actually, because we mentioned it a couple of times. So Raku's thing is, and this is, I think, part of what makes her a very endearing character is she loves trains. She is an otaku for trains. She has an alt account on Twitter, which she just uses to post train content, presumably because someone at Tokyo Joshi said, Raku, you do a lot of tweeting about trains from your main <laughs> account. So at each show, she says she has a train of the day and she just loves trains. And this is kind of a thing in uh, idol culture. There's a saying, I think it's kind of a, a bit reductive and essentializing, but there's a saying that people in Japan, they want to be different in the same way. So mm. it's kind of expected that a lot of the people in idol groups, particularly very large ones where you do have to go above and beyond in order to stand out, people will have uh, something that sets them apart, like an interest. And Raku's is trains. I'm not saying, by the way, that this is manufactured at all. Take it from me, someone who has a lot of hobbies which are just as nerdy. No one gets into train spotting for the clout. No. Uh, I don't think you can fake Raku's love of trains. She knows too much about trains. Yeah, I know. It's, it. like... it's a, a scary amount. I remember one time when she did a tweet saying, international fans, what are the trains like in your country? And loads of British people were just sending her pictures of like the fucking Northern Rail trains that we are cursed with in the part of the country where I live. The two carriage ones that used to be buses and were built 50 years ago. This year, it's, it's interesting. It's like the, the inverse of uh, Francis Bourgeois, isn't it? And uh, like, <laughs> yes. he, he loves all that. And like, I, I'm a train enthusiast. I'm not a, a, an outward train enthusiast, but I do enjoy trains. But you hit on something here about about like, idols and stuff having their own interests. It's and I, I've got a theory here that I, I want to kind of posit to you. It's the diametric opposite of footballers, because I am convinced all footballers are really, really, really boring. Like, all of them are so boring. They have no interest. Outside of Pat Nevin and Gajka Mendieta, Carlos Pio likes Napalm Death, right? He's like, Napalm Death is his favourite band, right? But outside of that, how many times do you hear about, like, I don't know, Kylian Mbappe's really heavy in his 50s jazz? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Footballers go home from playing football and play FIFA. Like, that seems <laughs> yeah. to be what they yeah. do with their spare time. <laughs> It's never like fucking Civ 6 or, or like visual novels or nothing like that. You never go, oh, Daniel Sturridge really loves um, the novels of Yukio Mishima. Like you you never hear stuff like that. I'm, I'm good. You, you shouldn't. He's a, he's a reprehensible man, Yukio Mishima. But, um, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Good novelist, bad beliefs. Doing, doing the Fistle podcast, like I know people who are involved in the media that do sort of stuff with Fistle players and all that. And to a man... They, as you say, they all just go home and play FIFA. They, like a lot of them, weird ones really play football much. manager instead. 
but even <laughs> then, like, yeah, that's that's sort of like the the extreme of the sort of shameful niche is oh we play football manager. Well, of course you do. You're into football, but I mean, like, you never hear about footballers who like fucking try to complete the forty-two or the ninety-two. Do you know what I mean? Or they love panini stickers or anything like that. Even like, in, in football terms, like. Really fucking boring. So like, I appreciate the fact that they all have weird, weird hobbies because actual people have real weird hobbies. Like <laughs> yeah. you all do. Like yeah. it's so weird. So yeah, all in on this. After they do the introduction, they do a song, and this becomes a staple of them. Like I say, they're trained as wrestlers and idols, so they take over from the IRA as the people who do the opening song. So they do a song called Upper Kick. This has become their signature song. To be fair, they don't have many songs, but this is the one they do the most. And it's, They have it's, four now. They have four songs, yes. <laughs> they do a song on each of these shows. Yes, we will be reviewing all of them. Um, so do Just like Mudvayne. <laughs> Just like Mudvayne, they have four songs and yeah. no more than four songs. And th- th- they're sweet spot. And it's really weird to see them doing this because Miu nowadays... Like you say, Stuart, she's figured herself out. She is by far the loudest in terms of volume. She's by far the most energetic. She isn't the loudest here. Her and Hikari sing the same lines and Raku and Hinano are actually louder. There's a full-on pinfall spot, which has now vanished from the choreography. The quality of the singing is, let's just say, it's not where it is now. And most notably, Hikari Noah is actually putting effort into the dancing. Or she's she's at least seeming as though she's into it. I guess because the first one, because Hikari Noah now, the thing is about Hikari Noah, now Miu, she is genuinely a huge fan of idol groups, idol music. Mm. One of SKE48 gave her a shout out on a show where they did a guest spot and she, she literally cried. Like, this is like thing. she was going to explode with happiness. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> she got into wrestling so she could be an idol. Hikari got into being an idol so she could become a wrestler it was very much a means to an end and we will see as we go on with these matches hikari's effort level plummets to an almost comical degree so we're going to get ready for that i wanted to pause a question to you um, yes go on. just on this right so i'm going to give you six names right okay and i want you i want you to rank the names and how effectively you think that they could perform the up up girls dance routine with a bit of practice in yes. a couple of weeks right. so uh, it's me you daniel stewart luke and jackson right okay those are your six names right jackson's going at the top yes because i, I went to a gig with jackson at the end of the year and he's forgotten how to headbang or do any sort of like dance to any sort of heavy music and now just does up up girls routines <laughs> so, like, sludge music and stuff like that and, like, amazing walking and stuff like that so yeah jackson's number one definitely luke i think is very much into this so i think he he probably knows all the all the routines Stuart, i think you'd be top three as well because i think even if you haven't gone to the trouble of intentionally trying to learn the dance you probably know it like subconsciously you've just absorbed it via osmosis because yeah. of all the tokyo joshi you've watched you watch um, it enough and it just it just sticks in there yeah <laughs> yeah big vince i think is fourth if he was in full day of the queen's death mode i think a bit high if he's sober i, I put him fourth <laughs> i um, would like to watch him in full day of the queen's death mode do enough up girls routine that would break me that would be breaking the it probably was basically <laughs> Basically, I think me and David will be at the bottom. I'm very unfit and uncoordinated. David's got a, a, at least one fuck knee, possibly two. <laughs> so, two, yeah. Two However, I would, 
I would say I've got two fuck knees, but you know who else is two fuck knees? The Great Muta, and he was fourth from the top on Tokyo <laughs> Dome. So that is by no means a barrier to entry on this. I think that I wouldn't know all the moves, but I'd give it a damn good go. You know, you, you, the effort would shine through. I'd probably just keep leg kicking a lot, and I'd probably collapse about a minute and a half in. But I think the moves I got before my knees completely turned into dust. Uh, I'd probably do all right on, but yeah. Yeah, I think um, you could do it once. It's like, you know when Muto did his last moonsault? He had one left in him. <laughs> You've got one up up goes dancing. He, he he fucking teased it. He went to do the moonsault at the Tokyo Dome show, and Tanahashi went up as the concerned mother and told him off. You know, <laughs> no, you, you must respect the sanctity of the stipulation okay. on your last that, that's his that's that's very funny. His retirement run would have been so much better if, rather than doing that last moonsault, he had done the up up girls dance just to. <laughs> he became an up up girl. <laughs> <laughs> the existing up up girls are on the outside cheering them on like second, which is very cute. And yeah. the four in the ring, they do all seem genuinely delighted with themselves when the song finished. And also, you can tell they're pretty relieved that they managed to get through it without any major fuck ups. David, I believe you said that you wanted to liken this match to a train or oh, no, a train station wasn't it yes i'm going to liken to a train station i've really set myself a task here that i will not be able to complete but <laughs> um i was thinking of this and like yeah in honor of our lord raku the akiyama to the four pillars of joshi <laughs> i i thought you know what give a little bit of an insight into some train stations here so i think this match would be teesside airport have you ever heard of teesside airport <laughs> yes yes it's a dog shit station. It's miles away from where it wants to be. But it is so weird and out there that it kind of has a grim fascination about it and you get a bit of enjoyment when you see it. So there you go. Right, moving on. Our next match took place on the 4th of January, 2019. It pits the four wrestlers we have just seen and they actually all have uh, full names. Now, these these names were adopted at an Up Up Girls wrestling show on New Year's Eve 2018 to the very new. So Hikari has become Hikari Noah, which I mentioned earlier. Miyu has become Miyu Watanabe. Raku has just stayed as Raku. The only change she made, she spells her name now with Hiragana rather than Katakana. Other than that, completely the same. And Hinano has become P-P-P-P-Pinano. And you now have I'm the Music Man by Black Lace stuck in your head. You're welcome. <laughs> There's a bit in this match where they say her name about five times in 30 seconds and it is a discombobulating experience i missed there was like a big spot and i missed it because i just kept hearing pee 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 over my, over my head it got to the point where the crowd were just like doing it in her matches um it was, they just it's... love the pure pre-podcast pee 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 I mean, don't we all? It, it, it looks, if anything, even more delightful written down in Japanese because it's just the same character five times in a row. So that's Is good. It? And they've got different gear now. So whereas before they all had the same gear in the same pattern, but with different colours, now they've got gear which is more distinct uh, to their gimmick. So Raku's is a bit more generic at this point, but Hikari's coming out in a death metal hoodie. Miu's got a backwards baseball cap back when she decided she was a rapper for some reason. And she incorporates, I think she has a background in softball. So she incorporates moves from that into her moveset. So they're developing their personas. Uh, and we can see they've they've moved on in their ring work and also just in how they're presented in the course of their first year in the business. We actually get a different song to open with. This is a song called Upper Chop, which is not the same as Upper Kick, despite having the same intro. Hikari has not yet lost the will to live, but it's coming. And they're just dancing on the stage for most of this before they get in the ring. They do a segment where 
they're miming fighting each other as they do in Upper Kick. There's some spectacularly half-assed choreography in this. And yeah, I remember when they released Upper Chop. They don't play it so much now, but I don't know. What do we think? Do we do we prefer it to Upper Kick or not? I, I think Upper Kick is, as, as a, a music connoisseur, the superior track. I, I think the only, the only way I can describe it is in Eurovision terms, where Upper Kick is a Spain, Upper Chop is a Czech Republic. It just oozes Czech Republic, you know, 18th. You know, we'll get through the semis, but won't really do much, but won't be dead last. I prefer the first one, I think, because of the dance routine. I thought this one yeah. was kind of like, eh. but the dance routine really makes the, the the first one work. But no, I, I think I enjoy this as a song more, but I enjoy the other one with the dance routine more. I think that's fair. And after they finish performing, they're actually straight into the opening match. They get announced to upper kick, so we do get to hear it. After this first year, they didn't really tag together very much. Because it's a joke I always make when telling people about Tokyo Joshi. I say, there's a group called the Up Up Girls. They're idols who open the shows with a musical number. And they go, oh, that sounds great. Are they a stable? And I was like, no, <laughs> they're not. But at this point, they are tying together quite a bit. So they More just... of a committee sort of thing. You know, like a parliamentary <laughs> yeah. committee. Yeah. Yeah. So they just stay in the ring. And then their opponents come out. Their opponents are... Uh, oh, actually, before their opponents come out, Pinano slips on the ropes doing her pose and nearly does... You know when Matt Hardy and Evan Bourne did their entrance and Matt Hardy, like, did his thing, but Evan Bourne was on the ropes as well and Matt Hardy ended up sacking it to the outside? That almost happened. Um, So that was very amusing. I enjoyed that. Their opponents are the team of Marika Kabashi, Mina Shirakawa, Pom Harajuku and Haruna Neko. This was billed as Marika Kabashi's return match. She had taken a break, I think, to concentrate on her schoolwork. Is is that right? I think she was, she was still a high schooler at this point. Her theme absolutely slaps, by the way. Uh, an incredible piece of music. Pom Harajuku is someone we are going to be seeing a lot of in the course of these reviews. Actually, four of the six matches that we are reviewing involve Pom Harajuku in some way. By the end of this recording, we will have reviewed more matches involving Pom Harajuku on this podcast than matches involving the four pillars combined. As it should be. <laughs> actually hey, yeah, exactly. Correct um, praxis. Hikari starts it off with uh, Marika Kabashi. The opening is kind of similar to the first match we covered. Hikari seems better at emoting now, even if the mm-hmm. work isn't markedly different. She's she's one year in. She knows a bit more what she's doing. So she's able to focus more on the performance aspects of wrestling than the mechanical aspects. PPPP Nano is in now and her gimmick seems to be pretending to cry which she uses to trick Haruna Neko, the wee cat, as uh, Stuart always refers to her in his blogs, which you should should read because they're very good. I love that gimmick. I love just just pretending to cry in the middle of the ring. And then everyone always falls for it as well. I loved it. It's great. It's yeah. one that a few people, I mean, Ito obviously uses it quite yeah, a lot she does. later yeah, yeah. in her career. And there's a few people who have done the whole burst into tears. Uh, Saren does it a lot in Ice Ribbon, which works even better because she is literally a 13-year-old. So <laughs> yeah. her bursting into tears is is kind of expected in some ways. But yeah. Yeah, um, ab- absolutely. Hurunaneko, I don't, I don't think anyone is going to mistake for a great in-ring worker. Um, I remember one time, I think maybe around about this, our, our friend Luke did a thread saying one positive thing about everyone on the Tokyo Joshi roster. And for Haruna Neko, it was just, she's cute and I like the sound the little bells on her costume make. (laughs) (laughs) I will continually argue that Neko has got a lot better. I wouldn't call her a great in-ring worker, but she has improved a lot over the Uh, years. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she has, for sure. Like, she does have some pretty cool moves now. 2019 Neko. But, um, so... 
now let's focus on Raku a little bit. Uh, Raku's moveset, she's still doing the chops. Somehow they actually look less impactful than they did in 2018. I think it's because she does a little jump beforehand. She's not just doing the chops. But we do get the addition of her... It's it's not really accurate to call it a finisher because I don't think she ever wins with it. She's pinned one person with it in her, and that was Marika Kabashi in her retirement match when the whole roster did the Goodnight Express on her and <laughs> Great, jumped on yes. her at the same time. And I believe that is the only time anyone has ever been pinned with a Goodnight Express. I genuinely thought you were going to say it was going to be like fucking Minami Toyota or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> to the, to the like, do you know Bill Nakano fought Racket? What? No. Yeah, the name is the Goodnight Express. This is the name of a train. So again, we're seeing her fandom yeah. come into play. How to explain it? So basically, she runs across them and she kind of steps on them. And then she does a little run around and she does it again. And then she sits on them, pretends to go to sleep. And then the ref gets a bit confused until he realizes it's a pin. And then he starts to count. Yeah. Matsui has been doing the joke of not realising it's a pin now for about five years and oh, yeah. he still does that he still pretends he doesn't know it's a pin and uh, gets coaxed into having to figure that out imagine not tiring of the same, doing the same jokes for five years <laughs> I can't imagine what that is I couldn't cope watching Raku do this all the time the referee not notice it I mean I'll I'll be full rabid old firm fan on Super Scoreboard in about three months complaining about referee <laughs> we just want consistency <laughs> it's, it's a conspiracy you know I seen him drinking in the pub. He, he was drinking in the Loyalist pub down the road. It's it's all a conspiracy, George. Sevco Joshi Pro Wrestling. <laughs> Commentary mentions a promotion called Best Body Japan. Uh, later in the year, Mina Shirakawa, who is in this match, and she did some competing in Best Body Japan. Later in the year, she will win the, frankly, appallingly misleading BBW Women's Championship. She was not really a good wrestler at this early point in her career she's still pretty new she could do a good mexican surfboard and it does take two to tango on that move so well done raku for taking it and not cocking it up because i do not think raku would have been able to take a surfboard back in 2018 no no you've basically got in this match the core of what will become the kind of tjpw mid card for the next few years at this point i suppose (laughs) Uh, like raku palm Neko and Mina for a lot of her TGPW career as well, just hung out in these kinds of matches as well, and Marika as well. It is, but they're all fairly young in their careers. I mean, I think Kobashi is probably the most experienced, but also I think she must be what like eighteen at this point as well. So she yeah, is totally she, experienced, yeah. where she has done five years but started as a child. It's certainly a step up from from the last match. Pom Harajuku's thing is shin kicks. She will continue to do this. We'll talk about Pom some more later. Miu is as she's added stuff to her repertoire, so she's doing the big shoulder blocks now, the baseball punch. So she's developing her signature move. She doesn't do the giant swing, which she would become she does known for. Do a double slam at one point. She slams yeah, two she people does. at the same That's time. Cool, so. so yeah, she's very much like I am the strong one has become her thing by this point, like fully in established as that yeah absolutely and there's some cool little interactions in this match there's a nice strike battle between hikari and um, marika kabashi hikari's drop kick which was pretty decent in the first match i would say it's probably as, as good as marika's at this point just going by what they're capable of in this match and uh, there's a very fun train in the corner on uh, Pinano, which ends with pom doing a shin kick and then her Signature move, the Pom de Justice, which is kind of a step-up leg drop. Nowhere on it at all. Absolutely none. It's like a Temu Enzigiri. <laughs> That's great. And then there is a spot in this match I do remember from watching it the first time. So Pinano does a, a cool little backslide counter 
to Mina where she she does like a backflip kicking off the turnbuckle but then she mm. absolutely fucks her ascent to the top rope and there's a little bit of hesitation and eventually she does this like incredibly rubbish looking sidekick from the second rope but then does like a cool judo throw to uh to marika afterwards but like look if it's a botch i'm remembering four years later then like yeah it's yeah. pretty fucked it's an improvement on the first match like like quite a, it's quite a decent improvement i would say on the first match but it is still sloppy in places like Mew and the wee cat have some kind of the kind of final sequence there's a couple of moments where they lose it a bit as well yeah it's they're still figuring it all out at this point I think yeah i mean it's a match which is very indicative of the reputation the Tokyo Joshi undercard had at this time, yeah. which is for the first two, three, four matches on the card, you're not getting anything good. Uh, I, I would say it's improved a lot now. Maybe you'll get the odd match like this, but at this time it was like, okay, there's these people in the in the ring. We know what is going to happen. Uh, finish is a kind of grounded Cobra twist from uh, Hikari after a top rope chop from Raku and a backbreaker from Miu so they're kind of stringing moves together cool looking submission I enjoyed that from uh, from Hikari so the up up girls get the win and that is the 2019 match David give me a train station I went for St Pancras on this <laughs> um, okay uh, the reason being that uh, of course it is the most famous train station in the UK with a PPPP piano in it so <laughs> for fuck's sake <laughs> Just uh, endless people playing Requiem for a Dream at fucking quarter past eight in the morning when you're trying to get work a fucking disaster. Get immediately taken out. But yeah, St. Pancras. Now we are moving on to the 4th January, once again, 2020. We are still at Corken Hall. This has become a tradition. You know, in 2018, Tokyo Joshi had not run many shows at that venue at all. But by 2020, they were doing maybe a few a year and they've become almost monthly in recent years which shows how the company has grown and in the crowd at this one was me i was at this show i was about to ask because i can see multiple people i know in the crowd yeah. on this show. i think i can hear you i can hear someone scottish at some points but uh yeah i was going to ask this was the one you were at okay fantastic yeah. i hope you have better recollection you were more aware of your surroundings for this match than daniel was for carlo riley versus kashida from rev pro which <laughs> we also reviewed on this podcast i have fond memories of this particular itenyon show because i watched this at uh, minus sarah's gaff with a load of our friends as it happened Wrestle Kingdom, back when we actually could countenance watching it, although I have to say we probably wouldn't have if we didn't have friends around. We got a load of people come down, even from fucking Dundee, which was which was absolutely ridiculous. And we watched Wrestle Kingdom night one on the Saturday and night two on the Sunday because it actually fell on the weekend. And in between, we watched this. And this was like, ah, January 2020, we've just moved into our brand new home. We're going to have a house full of our friends. I'm sure we'll be able to do that on multiple occasions throughout the year. I remember enjoying this show and there was a real show stealer between Makito and, and Hikari for the international princess title, which I think was probably the best match on the show and something that really, really overdelivered. Yeah, and surely we'll talk about it all the time at all the, uh, the British wrestling shows that they're going down to in London over the next two years. <laughs> yeah, yes, ab- absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, so, we, firstly, um, important thing to note: we are down to three up up girls now. So, sadly, PPPP Pinano retired somewhat abruptly a few months after the 2019 show. I don't know what she's up to now, but uh, she's not wrestling anymore. So, we were down to three up up girls. 
But before we get to the match, we, of course, have the song again. Our upper kick count now stands at two. The difference in energy between the remaining three up-up goals is becoming more palpable. And this is best demonstrated by Miyu going, yay, at the start, trying to get the crowd response. And then Raku anemically going, yay. Miyu has has really found her voice. I mean, she spends half of the song just yelling at the crowd to make noise and like charging about the place, shouting at people to make more noise. Like, she vanishes from the ring at least twice during the song to go and shout at people <laughs> in the crowd. And... and the crowd does make noise, which they will definitely be able to throughout the rest of 2020, I'm sure. Yeah. Me was the equivalent of, I, I used to gig back home. The band I was in shared numerous bills with a punk band from Lincoln called the League of Mental Men, who did punk covers of shit like James Blunt and Atomic Kitten. And the lead singer of the League of Mental Men, if people weren't dancing, he just grabbed someone from the crowd and go, come on, you cunt, come have a dance. And so Mew's basically doing that. Mew does have big like opening band on a five band bill, hardcore <laughs> band who are like, we are going to make an impact here and I'm going to do it by going and shouting at everyone until they take part in our set, even if they're just sitting at the bar quietly having a drink. <laughs> and that is Mew's attitude to this song. You will enjoy it. She yourself. reminds me. Yeah, she reminds me of him. I remember we once put on my friend Bobby put on a gig and a whole bunch of bands were playing. And it was a whole bunch of Icelandic bands were playing. So it was like three Icelandic sort of hardcore grindcore bands playing or whatever. And then a, a big bill of like weird improv stuff or whatever. And uh, one one of the, the Icelandic bands, it was like a, like a three or four piece or whatever. But it was a tiny, tiny woman was the singer. Like really, really small woman. Real meek. She didn't say anything the whole show. Like she just kind of like sat on the back, whatever. You just really, really quiet and shy and stuff like that. And the seconds they went, she literally ran into the crowd and done like fucking Akebono fucking body shot um, <laughs> checks. Just ran right into people and just clattered them out and just went and just started fighting people, lariats all over the shop. Just launching herself at all these people who've been there. I don't have to be quite a pain, Archie, and she was just not fucking have it. She ran in and just absolutely fucking taking names. And there's like a 10 minute set of her scre- still singing while she's doing this, just screaming, launching herself into people. And then just the whole time, and then it finished, she just went, Thank you, and walked away, didn't see her again. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Like, I, I, what a woman. Sounds ideal. Hikari is um, barely audible. I think they might have had a few sound issues because it does seem like they're a little bit behind the backing track. At some point, there's a couple of moments where they're struggling to fit all of the syllables into the lines. So, yes, Hikari Noah's effort levels (laughs) somewhat ebbing at this point. But uh, Raku is going up in the world. She has moved up to the fourth match on the show. This is something of a featured match. The opposing team is Mina Shirakawa once again. Yuna Manase and uh, Mirai Mayumi against Raku, Pom Harajuku, who we remember from the match <laughs> before, and their partner, Arja Kong. So Arja Kong, this is like her third match in Tokyo Joshi. She had had a singles match with Ito the previous year. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Arja Kong, Raku and Pom Harajuku are the best trio in the history of wrestling. It's the greatest I, I would agree. It's, it's so good. brilliant. It's good to see Raku and Pom passing the baton on <laughs> to a new rookie and like you know she's only get, had two matches in Tokyo Joshi she needs to learn the ropes Raku and Palmer right there <laughs> but I agree I, I now convince my dream six man 
because uh, it's a six-man, irrespective of gender, it's a gender-neutral term, is my two favourite six-man teams of CM Punk, Sting and Darby Allen against <laughs> yes. Raku, Pom and Azure Kong would be a, an amazing match. The best CM Punk trio other than The Gathering. It's a deep cut. <laughs> um, this, this is actually this trio's first time teaming up and they've done more matches with these in the future. Arja Kong is the Iron Man heavy metalweight champion, which is very funny because in the previous match, Saki Akai was the Iron Man heavy metalweight yeah. champion and actually left with the belt. And then a couple of minutes later, Arja Kong just coming from the backstage with the belt. Very funny bit. You didn't see what happened. It's great. Yeah, I believe there was a video eventually released of her just ransacking Saki's like post-match interview knocking her out and taking the title and coming to the ring looking very pleased with herself that she's Arja Kong really fits the and we've discussed this before in the DMs and on Twitter the theory of Tokyo Joshi import right so Mm. there are two categories of Tokyo Joshi imports who do well the first are people who completely fit the kind of cutesy kawaii aesthetic of the place so sort of like Willow Nightingale who was there uh, last year like absolutely fits it to a T fantastic the other type of good Tokyo Joshi import is people who do not fit the aesthetic at all people like Arja Kong and we will see in this match just how badly Arja Kong fit in Tokyo Joshi with hilarious results Raku and Pom are clearly absolutely delighted to be teaming with her, just practically gloating in the faces of their opponents that they get to team up with Arja. What a coup. Is this a signing of the transfer window? They've really they've really sent a message out to all the other teams in Tokyo Joshi that they, they mean business. They've got a war chest and they're going to use it. It's like getting Messi to play for your Sunday league team. <laughs> Uh, well, I was just going to point out also that this is the first time that Raku's gear is beginning to shift in the direction that we now see her gear take, and that it's beginning to, one, look more like a dress, and two, she has an entrance gown for the first time, and it's a kind of big fluffy thing that you don't see as much of because the cameras are focusing on Azure Kong, but <laughs> yes, uh, as you would. It's, this is, I guess, the beginning of modern day Raku, I would say, in terms of how she is presenting herself in the ring. Yeah, I don't think her gear reaches its final form until the year after this. But uh, yeah, yeah, we're getting towards what I would consider to be main era Raku. At the start of the match, Mirai confidently steps forward and demands a handshake from Arja Kong, who's very much not up for the for observing the Code of Honor. Bizarrely, this starts with some mat wrestling between Mirai and Pom Harajuku. Even Pom getting one successful takeover, I think, stretches the boundaries of credulity uh, with this. She gets overpowered and instantly rolls into the corner and tags Arja Kong, which you would. <laughs> this is The cowardliness of both Pom and Raku at every turn in this match is incredible. Great scenes. Then they have a face-off between Arja Kong and Yuna Manase. Lots of shoving and the like. Uh, Manasse is trying to knock down Arja, but with absolutely no effect. And, you know, Arja Kong does her thing. She's here to play the hits, as she always is in this point in your career. But she does miss the jumping elbow. Manasse hits a stiff kick, so she can tag in Mina Shirakawa, who tries the surfboard. Goes how you'd expect. <laughs> like, that's not happening. Oh, I loved the surfboard. I loved it so much. I was I was howling. I was expecting it to pull an instruction manual at some point. It's that <laughs> leg grill. What the hell is that? Um, I guess yeah. it is worth pointing out that Mina is a massive wrestling nerd. So, like, because yes. I don't think people realise because she probably doesn't present herself uh, with the whole kind of model gravure thing as being the typical wrestling nerd, but of everyone in this match, I imagine she was the one who was 
incredibly excited to be in the ring with Azure Kong. And I think you can kind of see that with what oh, happens absolutely. with the rest of the match. Yeah. I mean, she's specifically a lucha nerd as well. Like, wasn't her second ever match at the Arena Mexico? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So several times she's, more. She's pulling her fucking surfboards. Are we her Negro Navarro teaming next year? <laughs> she actually gets booed for dodging dodging the Goodnight Express. That move is getting over, brother. Raku and Pom ask Arja to join in with it. The crowd is very into this idea, but Arja is not having this. Mina dodges again, and now she agrees to do it. Mina sells it like death, especially as like Arja remains on her for a long while. Like yeah. she's just standing on her. She's not just stepping over. Like just full on her entire body weight on this woman's midriff. And then she sits on her as well. That is a proper sit. Is what she doesn't slowly lower herself down to sit on her. She just collapses down on top of Mina. If someone was going to pin someone legitimate of the Good Night Express, it is Azure Kong just collapsing onto someone and leaving them half dead. It really subscribes to my wife's theory on wrestling, which of course is that if wrestling was real, the big show would be champion indefinitely because you would just sit and everybody and win. <laughs> this is the nil plus ultra of that, literally Aja Kong just sitting in people. She yeah. does actually get off for the pin count of it, and Raku kind of goes and does the pin. And you do wonder if it was a slight worry that if she sat, Mina wasn't going to be able to kick out because <laughs> she was just too much. No, I think that is just Arja Kong deferring to her senior in the team. Um, <laughs> Manasse is now in. Raku tries to fire off. Doesn't work. She does a chop to the knee. I enjoyed that. And hits a face buster. Pom runs wild and hits a forward roll for two. Again, like nowhere at all. It's like, a, you know, the flipping sent on that Chihiro Hashimoto does is that, but she just doesn't leave her feet. It's so good. Mom has her own unique offense and she has perfected it to do what she requires it to do. And sometimes that might not look like much. But there's a plan. What that plan is, only Paul knows. But... <laughs> yeah. She won't be appreciated in her lifetime. But you see when yeah. she goes in like 100 years time, when other basically like Stuart in a jar and Brian uh, will be writing columns after columns about Palmism. And I think, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we, we, need to get, we need to get on the train here, pardon the pun. And, you know, we, we need to be bat, going to bat for Palm on this. Yeah. It's innovative. <laughs> it's it's certainly that. I will not argue with you. Then we get a face-off between Mirai and Arja. Now, spoiler alert, these two are both in the match the next year that we're going to cover as well. And that was really more built around those two, whereas this one, it's more, hey, Arja Kong is here in Tokyo Joshi and we're not really using her to put over anyone in particular. Insofar as she did have these physical confrontations it was more with uh, Manasseh than with Mirai. Mirai tries the body slam again delightful just <laughs> yeah I think the Mirai and Azure face-offs in this one probably gave them the idea to then do it the next year because there is a kind of you can feel it with the crowd and stuff that Mirai as the kind of young person trying to take it to Azure it, it's one of these things that just works and you can kind of see them laying the not intentionally I don't think laying the groundwork for the next year but it does lay the groundwork for what comes the next year at this point yeah I think so I mean she even gets a two count with a lariat Mina actually uh, wobbles Arja with uh, the back fist which I very much enjoyed but as you would imagine their efforts to pin Arja Kong do not go well she actually double DDTs Mirai and Manasse before absolutely destroying Mirai with a lariat for a close two, followed by a horrible looking backdrop. The pin gets broken up, but then Raku and Pom come in and run interference and Mirai finally goes down to the, the falling elbow from the second rope. Arja Kong then poses with her new pals. Manasseh and Mina try to rush her <laughs> to 
<laughs> try and get the Iron Man belt off her. So Arjun just gets out of there with multiple women in hot pursuit, as the history of that title would lead you to believe would happen. I think this was, again, certainly a step up from the 2019 match. It felt like something more than a get all the undercarders on the show. Mm. So they've got something to do match. It, it actually had a point to it, which is Arjun Kong is here. We're going to put her in, in a team with the weirdest possible people for her to team with and then just uh, see what happens. It was cool to see Arjun Kong in Tokyo Joshi doing her stuff. And you can see from Mina and Mirai that they're both pretty raw, fairly rough, but there's certainly potential there. And Raku is, again, she doesn't really do that much in this match. It's more built around uh, Arja Kong, but Raku holds up her end perfectly well. No real complaints, really. She's, again, definitely improved. And the Goodnight Express is over by this point. Like, the Asuka <laughs> yes. being pulled in to do the Goodnight. And everyone in this match, more, I guess, than before, feels like they kind of have their thing. Raku and Pom are kind of cementing that what Pom's doing her kind of shin kicks more and the kind of weird offense. Raku's got the Goodnight Express. Mina, when she does the Mexican surfboard, does like the Chantsu shout and people shout along with that. It feels like everyone's beginning to establish themselves. And yeah, Raku, you're right, is not the focus of this match, but she has that one spot that people now care about more than they definitely did the like two years before. Yeah, exactly. It's so over that they want Arja Kong to do it. And Arja Kong, I mean, one of my favorite things in wrestling, not just as relates to her but anyone really uh, someone who is a big scary monster being in the middle of a load of nonsense and deciding to go along with it like yeah. always entertaining and it certainly is in this case david what's our train station i thought i would immortalize this in three train stations to immortalize the holy trinity of palm uh, raku and Asia. so we've got two lower lights and a veritable legend so is it what's like an all-timer of a train station next to two sort of more unheralded ones. So I've went for, you may know, I believe it's in the Glasgow Aberdeen line. It was a Glasgow we've done decently. Barry Links and Golf Street, which only have one train a week, uh, but they're both, a uh, of, they're not far from each other. The station's next to each other. And then the next one, I believe the next one after that is Arbroath, which obviously is the best away day in Scotland. So yeah, Arbroath, Golf Street and Barry Links. Uh, very, very good. Okay, so coming up next, the 4th of January once more you'll be surprised to hear Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling 2021 Cork and Hall once again so before we get to the match now we have got the Raku gear that we know and love it's a big frilly yellow dress and what Chris Brooks once called a delightful bonnet this is the debut of the delightful bonnet I believe I believe this is the show where Brooks first said that and uh, it's also the first time that we hear the train of the day in the introductions and i believe the train of the day i was trying to catch it for this one because the english commentary actually isn't on wrestle universe so i no, couldn't get it from there but uh, i think the train of the day was the smile train which is a one of the trains that raku has taken a move name from in the future so it's obviously one of her favorites yeah she does do uh, it in this match actually so we've, we've got the raku gear that we know and love and of course we get a song this song is called all along the way it starts with a chant of Up Up Goes Bombier, which I en- enjoyed immensely. This is definitely when Hikari stopped putting in a shift for the songs. Okay. I would charitably describe the choreography on this song as undercooked, as in they are barely dancing at many points. This song had only been released a few months before this, I believe. And you, yeah, you're right. The, the choreography is not quite as elaborate as it is the other the other ones. It's got big players being forced to sing on the FA Cup final song <laughs> um, vibes to it, isn't it? It's very much like you're contractually obliged to do this. 
I know you don't want to do this, but you have to do this. PPPP, I know, was the glue holding this act together. <laughs> again, there's some half-assed miming of wrestling in the instrumental bits, even by the upper girl standards. But then again, you're not bringing out your best work for a pandemic crowd, are you? Me who can't shout at them to make noise. Why should she try? If she can't go out <laughs> yes, exactly. and beat the fans into chanting along. A, a definite low light in terms of the upper girl's musical output on January 4th, I would say. As for the match... It is Raku Arjikong, once again, teaming with Mizuki, this time rather than Pom, against Mirai Mayumi, once again. Uh, Miyu Watanabe, she is back from the Up Up Girls. And new signing, now Gail Kakuta, I will never stop making this joke, who had recently come into the company from Actress Girls. And I thought at the time, she's a, she's a good get, she'll do well just as a, a capable hand in the mid-card, which is essentially what she's done. And also became Hikari Noah's tag partner, uh, in the tag team free Wi-Fi, so-called because, and I quote, we want everyone to watch our matches. <laughs> Great reasoning. Love it. That's just marketing 101, isn't it? You just, <laughs> yeah. Get, Get them on The Apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> this match, in many ways, it's not a complete redo of 2020. It's different in some ways, but a lot of the beats are the same. And I didn't quite realise it. I, I kind of forgot that um, they'd done a match quite like this in 2020 with uh, a lot of the same players they do reuse some spots so again mirai seeks a handshake but is rebuffed again Arjikong's kong's tag partners are jumping up and down with glee at getting to tag with her the start is mirai over Mizuki, which i think considering their builds is <laughs> definitely what you would expect they have the uh, the on-screen stats are here they're rating them out of 10 raku gets a 10 for trainer taku which I, I think is very accurate, and also gets a six for technique, which I would argue is possibly a bit generous. <laughs> but, um, so it's quite, quite an entertaining thing they put on there. And they, they do the 2020 spot again, but this time Arja Kong is right in there with the Goodnight Express, and it's uh, to all three of the opponents as well. There's a very funny spot where Mirai tries to sit up, and then Arja just essentially intimidates everyone into staying put. <laughs> and... This is the first point at which you realise, oh, this match is going to be more about Arja Kong versus Mirai because Arja actually steps over the others but makes a point of standing on Mirai. <laughs> so it's and like, going okay. back and standing on her again after having moved away as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and actually works over her midriff for a lot of this match, kicking it and uh, and so on and so forth. And we get Mirai, you know, some nice defiance in Joshi bridging out of uh, an elbow drop. And uh, yeah, so it's very clear. Okay, this is the focus of the match. It's not just Arja Kong. It's Arja Kong plus someone. This is closer to the Arja Kong, I think, that's become a more regular part of TJPW, I suppose, where one, you've got the, because I think this is, it's the last Itenyon match with her and Raku. But by this point, you can tell she genuinely quite enjoys teaming up with Raku and doing the Goodnight Express. And that has continued every time they teamed up. You get the impression Aja genuinely loves getting to come in and hang around with Raku a bit but also that they're using her to put over specific people. And at this point, it is obviously Mirai who is the person getting that Aja Kong rub. And that will change because Mirai will vanish off to stardom. But <laughs> yes. uh, she is, at this point, the person who you imagine they had a plan that would probably have eventually led to Mirai doing the kind of classic Aja Kong singles match where she would have put up a defiant fight and then been destroyed, as most people do. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably where they were going to go with this. There is some stuff in this match that isn't. Mirai versus uh, Aja Kong. One bit I found very funny was the bit where Mizuki does a hot tag to Arja and not Raku, and I mean, you would. There is also a little bit 
featuring Arjun Kong versus another power wrestler, and that is Mio Watanabe, who is, by this point, looking very jacked. She has definitely been putting in the hours in the gym. That makes one of us. So she's now the one doing ineffective forearms. She manages to rock Arja Kong a bit with the baseball punch. Tries a powerbomb, which obviously doesn't work and gets clothesline for her trouble. Arja goes through the yeah. top rope and Mew tries to powerbomb her off. Still can't do it. So just rather spitefully pulls her off the top rope. Enjoyed that a lot. That was great. And then Arja Kong slaps Mew and ta- tags in Raku. It's like, you know what? We need to send in the big hitter. <laughs> that was great. Mew does the stinger splash and knocks Raku down. And Raku slips out of the Argentine backbreaker and locks in the Oyasumi sleeper. So the, the goodnight sleeper. So again, some, something else train related. Mew's partner saver. So Arja comes in with a bin and <laughs> just starts twatting people in the head. And it's at this point that we get the big spot of the mat, which is that Mirai gives her a big old lariat. Now, unlike the lariat from the previous year, which is one that gets a two count, she doesn't get um, any pin off it, but it takes Arja out of the match. I think this is the first match we've ever, we've ever reviewed twice on this podcast, because <laughs> when we did our January 4th episode two years ago, we talked about this and we made something of the lariat. I remember it being like more impactful just in terms of the noise and the visual than it was. And I remember Arja looking more fucked from it than she actually does. But it's very clear that they've put this over as a big moment. Like she's not beat her, but she's taken her out so that her team can win. And the setup for this is Mirai ends up on the outside. Mizuki hits this amazing crossbody to the outside. Looks so good. And then Raku does another move, which has become part of her repertoire. And I think her only signature move that doesn't have a train pun in the name. And that is the sling blade. Now, Raku is... Nobody's our idea of a ring general, but I can mm. confidently say Raku has the best sling blade in the world. I don't know how, but nobody <laughs> does the move better than her who does it as a signature. Not Pentagon, certainly not Pentagon, not Finn Balor, possibly not even Hiroshi Tanahashi. Raku's sling blade somehow is generally world class. I have no idea. And also, like, visually, it's a delight because she's swiveling around in the air. We get the billowing of her dress doing the same, and it makes her a really cool visual. Yeah, it is, I suppose, worth pointing out that like 2020 was a big year for Raku, I think, kind of actually starting to enjoy actually wrestling. It was the year she had a big storyline with Ito, where she kind of turned to Ito to try and help her win her first match and stuff like that, and ended up having a really good tag match where she gets her first pinfall win. And this sling blade and stuff like that kind of all become more part of her repertoire during that year as she almost seems like she, it all kind of clicks for her a little bit. I mean, you're right. She is still not the great technical wrestler in Tokyo Joshi. No one's going to be calling on her to do the big main events or whatever. But coming into this show, she is feeling more like someone who can be relied upon in these matches. And I think you do see bits of that in this, like with the Sling Blade and things like that. It's big Alicia Fox, Northern Light Suplex, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Where it's like, she's just so good at it. Not anything else, but she's so good at it. Like... Uh, yeah, I really enjoy um, Raku's sling blade as well. Now that Tanahashi is a full-on yummy mummy and doesn't really do much anymore, <laughs> I, I, I think we have to give Raku this sling blade crown at this point because, yeah, it's top tier. Hiroshi Tanahashi posting on Mum's net that his husband won't take out the garbage. <laughs> um, 
which is, to be fair, one of the less malign things you could be posting on Mum's Net. The Sling Blade doesn't help Raku in this uh, match, however, because Miu fires back, hits her finish and wins. And that was the match. So the team with Arja Kong on actually loses this time because Mirai took her out of the match. And like you say, Stuart, it was pretty clear that they had big plans for Mirai. But then Stardom came calling and... You know what? She's actually doing very well there. Like, I mean, she, she got a fucking World of Storm title match in the first month, which was really weird. You know, Still a traitor, folks. Still a traitor. <laughs> Still a Judas. <laughs> Cheating hun bastard. <laughs> Tokyo Sports Joshi Rookie of the Year. Now she's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what makes sense for about eight people, but all of them listen to this podcast, so it's fine. So in terms of the match, functionally, fairly similar to the previous year but what it was trying to do was different they were trying to get Mariah over rather than showcasing Arja Kong and as before Raku's kind of just there but she has added new stuff to her repertoire like you say Stuart she has used the the year of the the pandemic to work in the dojo add some more things to her repertoire and seemingly getting more of a passion for the actual wrestling side David Mm -hmm. what train station are we looking at this time? I very much fucked myself with this because I'm struggling from this. Give me characteristics about this match that you think could apply to a train station. Um, I would say it's maybe if something big has crumbled, like or decayed. Mm. There's there's lots of like sort of big stations which have fallen to rack and ruin. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, or some sort of underground station or something. There's quite quite a few of them. Um, you know what? It was quite similar to the previous match, which I, I deemed as Arbro. So we'll say Montrose just for actually no, because <laughs> it's the same thing, aren't it? No, actually, you know what? We'll, we'll get we'll give this one to Haymarket because I really like Haymarket as a station. Like, you can go anywhere practically from fucking Haymarket. It's good pubs around. Get everything you want out of a train station. Twenty minutes walk from my flat. So it, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's everything you could want apart from a dozen of a Burger King. That's why it's not six and a half stars. It's just, it's just a six. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I hear market will go with that. Our next match took place on January the fourth, twenty twenty-two. Raku, this time it's another six-woman tag. She's teaming with Marika Kabashi and Pom Harajuku. There she is again against the team of Haruna Neko. There she is again. Yuki Aino and for one night only, Nodoka Onesan. So this is the wrestler known at this time as Nodoka Tenma. Uh, she's doing her old gimmick because she uh, and Marika actually are both graduating. Marika has been involved in wrestling after going from Tokyo Joshi. She's done some work for Stardom and for Triple P, the bad Triple P, not us. Um, so very much two ends of the spectrum there. And uh, Nodoka has become a farmer. She's just learned agriculture and is like growing her own rice and stuff. She was at a recent that- TJPW show and I believe took vegetables for all the wrestlers uh, <laughs> into to see them. And uh, Kamiyu and Rika threatened to burn down her farm because Yuki Aino, her sister, beat them in a match. So that's... <laughs> uh, the CIA-backed paramilitary technique. <laughs> yeah, she also married Basara Zuriuchi Sakin. Is that his name? She married a yeah, wrestler yeah. from Basara, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's that's right. Very, very incestuous stuff going on in the Wrestle Universe. There's a fascinating, like, sort of... You know how, like, all Japanese male wrestlers get a grill like a, like a sort of steakhouse or something <laughs> like that so you get like mr pogo steakhouse a man famously who's always been very concerned about cleanliness um, in his matches. <laughs> um, but there's definitely an interesting strand of joshi wrestlers just go, being farmers it's like how when yeah. football players here all just buy a pub afterwards i feel that all joshi wrestlers just buy a farm 
and then yeah. and do that because I didn't. Nico make all the Sendai girls last yeah, go and work in a farm for like three they days. All, they basically run a farm alongside running the wrestling company. They have their own rice and everything, and it's, that's like what they do when they're not training. They work on the farm. It's just it's a, a literally Jushy ideology, but in wrestling, it's, isn't it? It's the most Maoist promotion. <laughs> um, no, and you I'm, can buy the rice at Sendai Girls shows, I believe. Like it, they basically use it as like merch. <laughs> a friend of the podcast, Per Anderson, has actually bought Nohime rice from Sendai Girls over the internet. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Italian uh, symphonic death metal band Flesh God Apocalypse? I have actually, yes. They are a spectacularly amusing band because they took a grand piano into the Bannermans and had like eight people trying to lift it up onto the fucking stage. But they had their own pasta. (laughs) Yes! You could buy like Flesh God Apocalypse pasta. I remember my friend being absolutely out his bin, just going up to the merch and just looking, just seeing some pasta and then just going to go, mate, you sell pasta? The guy does not know what I mean. And then after I come go, yeah, yeah, we sell pasta. It's like £14 or whatever extraordinary fucking value I put it. And he's like, man, that's why you was pasta, man. <laughs> you're a death metal band that's been telling pasta. What, what's going on, man? And they just really, really fell into this hole of why are this death metal band selling pasta? That, that is genuinely like, I bet they get a lot of sales just from people who are absolutely off their nut just looking at it and going it's literally the what the hell is a washing machine doing in a pub fucking hell i need a drink bit from peep show it really is w just drew their biggest cork in in a while because they offered sweet potatoes to everyone who turned up i believe so it's obviously (laughs) something that works (laughs) Um, amazing so before we get to pharmanautica and everyone else we have a Third rendition of Upper Kick on the podcast. I'm not going to go into it too much because you know the drill by now. It's Upper Kick. Hikari Noah, her effort levels, kind of an all-time low. Although, to her credit, she I, I found this really amusing. I, I don't know if she does this all the time, but she was selling fatigue after the instrumental section. <laughs> like, what a worker. Like, she's selling during a song. Fantastic. As far as Raku's gear goes, it's... Essentially an even sparklier version of the 2021 vintage. She's she's definitely got her style now, and she's yeah. really just adding embellishments to it. So we can really applaud Bonnet that. Bonnet is growing in size uh, <laughs> yeah. every year. Yes, uh... Absolutely, it's going to be the size of one of the Easter Island statue heads uh, <laughs> by 2025. As far as this match goes, so as we said, Marika Kabashi is graduating. Nodoka is graduating. Speaking of gear, so her old gimmick, Nodoka Onesan, Onesan means uh, an older sister. And she actually cut a promo about it after the match, just explaining about the gimmick. And the idea was that the gimmick is essentially a children's TV host. And the idea, as as she cheerfully admitted, the idea was we wanted to get more children to the shows. Didn't really work, so we got rid of it. But um, that was the that was the thinking behind it. Uh, this is like the um, Mr. Azerbaijan, isn't it? And the Estonian Thunderfrog, where they've seen that they were getting lots of traction from Eastern Europe, made all these gimmicks and realised it was all bots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's my favourite bit of Chikara lore, that is. So Nodoka is selling that her old outfit is somewhat tighter on her than it used to be. By this point in her career, a large part of her gimmick is Chubby Girl Who Likes to Eat, and she's selling the fuck out of this gear. She sings a song called Pin Pon Pan, which was her usual opener. The ref also joins in. He's not doing well at it. Not a natural mover is the ref. 
Matsui, I think it's, I've seen him do it a few times and he's never quite figured it out. Judging by the way he counts fucking pins, he's definitely not a quick mover. (laughs) (laughs) The Tarantes of the Puro scene. Um, Raku's team, meanwhile, they come out, they make a triple P sign. I don't know why they're doing this, but it's nice to see the love from the team of Raku Maokabashi and Pom Harajuku. Does the P stand for, is it for Pin Pom Pan, I guess? I I thought it was TPPPNO. Hmm. Pom has done the P thing and like she for a while, she still occasionally does it, was doing a P attack where she made a P with her <laughs> arms and then just ran into people in a very classic uh, piece of Pom <laughs> offense. Um, Raku does her P backwards, which I found extremely funny. <laughs> Shades of my Watani doing the stars pose. We've all tried it. We've been out of the pub and we're pissing it. So we'll try and P backwards, see what happens. Uh, yeah, it doesn't work. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> the match starts with Pom starts doing her own pin pom pan dance in her own inimitable style. There's a lot more ass shaking in this one than the regular version. Nodoka joins in with this somewhat suspiciously. She has a worried look on her face before proceeding to ground Pom with a headlock, which she does not want to let go of. It's very good. The Doka had been going through a period where she'd been very into arses. Uh, so that was obviously being played <laughs> off of here, where she was into spanking people. And I assume the idea was that as Onisan, that would be inappropriate. And Pom was trying to draw that out of her. So that was kind of what I think <laughs> they made, were going I mean, for there. Look, we've all been through that phase. <laughs> yeah. is, this, is this like John Cena Kane, embrace the hate? Or just, you know, <laughs> yeah. I like Bray Wyatt's trying to get to care. Wow, John. I never thought anyone could be as into asses as me. You truly have embraced the hate. A very amusing double team then where the Bakaretsu sisters get the rest of Raku's team down on the ground and they get Haruna Neko. One of them gets her legs and one of them gets her hands and they kind of try to slingshot her into the other team. They all move. Haruna eats absolute shit on it and proceeds to take the Goodnight Express for added humiliation. I don't think I've ever seen a genuine a leg and a wing to see the king a one, a two, a three in the <laughs> wild in wrestling. I was delighted. I was like, it's a leg and a wing. I did a leg and a wing. What? I loved it. More of this. Get get us in rings. <laughs> a leg it's and a, a ring. It is a recurring theme of TJPW's midcard where Neko just spends a lot of time being beat up by everyone else. It is basically her role in these matches is that the wee cat gets kicked in the head and thrown around by everyone else just because she is small and easy to beat up, I think. There was a lot of childish nonsense in this, right? To its credit. <laughs> I mean, and the greatest compliment it was, it very much, you know, Nadoka was being a children's TV host and very much everyone else around it was the sort of, the other characters in this demented TV show for three-year-olds because there was a big CBB's energy to a lot of this match. And um, yeah, uh, it's great. We're just normal men. We're just innocent men. (laughs) Yeah, Haruna eats a lot of shit in this match. Her first bit of offense is the cat scratch. Uh, Always love to see it. Yuki Aino, uh, I think she's someone who, again, when I started watching Tokyo Joshi, I think this was maybe... It was either, I think, the Princess Cup 2018, maybe. Yuki Aino was quite new and rather crap. But by 2022, she has turned into like a really dependable mid-card hand, someone who can just hold a match like this together. And I enjoyed her hot tag quite a lot. Kabashi finally manages to cut her off with a leg drop, does some chops. She is actually not related to Kenta Kabashi at all, but she wears orange and does chops. No, never did a burning hammer, to my knowledge. 
And she didn't take her name from Kenta Kobashi. She took it from Abdullah Kobayashi, who is the wrestler that she actually likes. And I believe was once at a show that, I think it was one of the Cyberfests where she was at the same show as Kenta and went up to him and explained to him that she actually took her name from Abdullah Kobayashi, not him, <laughs> just in case he got confused, uh, which feels like I, a, bit I, I of would a baller t- move. Like, I love just, just like going up to someone like, just so you know, I'm not actually a big fan of you, all right? I would like to set the record straight. <laughs> I mean, you're not bad, you know. You've got four and a half stars. Have you ever been in the grocery store deathmatch? No. Case closed. Well, seeing this, I'm fairly sure there's a picture of Kenta Kibashi and Abdullah Kobayashi playing Fire Pro together. Like, as, <laughs> as like a sort of promo thing, they got them together to play Fire Pro together. And obviously, Abdullah Kobayashi in full garb, guard all of the play. Kenta Kibashi just having the time of his life playing fucking PS2 or something like that. Nodoka comes in with a, a, a very tankish hot tag ending in a backbreaker to Marika and there's this really cool struggle on the top rope. It basically ends in a rolling guillotine from uh, Kibashi. That's really good. Out of which Nodoka stands up and ends up getting small package for two. I love this whole sequence. This is great because the thing about Nodoka and Esan was that she's very short. She's like legit four foot eight, four foot nine. She's essentially like Haruna Neko height but and this was very clear even when she was in the Nodoka and Asan gear which is like this skirt and what have you yeah she's clearly an absolute unit under that <laughs> like and so oh, she yeah. would constantly be overpowering people who had like a foot of height on her her and uh, Yuki used to kind of be compared to the Steiners in the, the TJPW version of it, I suppose, where they were, but they're both kind of tanks. And you maybe don't notice it at first glance, because as you say, they're both quite short, but you don't have to be that much of a tank to be a tank on the TJPW roster, because most of them are tiny and quite easy to throw about. And they were very much the two in there that played that role. I very much enjoyed the Bakuretsu sisters double team, the double sent on to Kabashi. Mm. That was very good. And then Pom Harajuku does something. I, I, I don't, see it out of her too often this kind of bizarre backwards roll she kind of just backwards rolls over whoever it was she did it to and into like a cutback cradle you know the one that the survivor series 96 ending the austin brett one like it's a sleeper and they go back and like so she doesn't go out of the sleeper in that she just does a backwards roll onto someone just that's the thing about pom harajuku she's like constantly innovating with offense and maybe there's a reason why no one's done it before but you, you don't have to appreciate the effort lives in her own little world and she will come up with what she wants to come up with <laughs> now if you will it will either work or it will be a disaster but it's palm so even when it's a disaster it kind of works yeah it's like that tag move that um magical sugar rabbits came up with which yeah. was I, I can only describe it as like one of them sunset flips the other onto their opponent and they tried it three times and it worked precisely once after which they decided to get rid of it because it was <laughs> clearly a shite idea yeah, so very much an equivalent to that. It doesn't actually work for Pom in this case. She falls to Nodoka's finisher, the pop-up Samoan drop, which looked like the sort of thing that could absolutely pancake someone. So the Bakaretsu sisters and the Wee Cat get the win. After the match, there is a little segment. So as I said, they tell the story of the Onesan gimmick as this failed attempt to get uh, more children to the shows. She offers the gimmick to Pom. I don't know. <laughs> Nodoko and Asan too <laughs> like, like a lucha gimmick Pom refuses it very good like, no no I've got a sweet thing going here with whatever the fuck my gimmick is he's clearly uh, 
Harajuku clown? I don't know. Uh, she, she's a pom. That's all. She's know. a proud Scot. Like, she's got <laughs> well, a tartan yeah. on. Now, everyone's in the ring after that. And I think it was very cruel to make Nodoka do pin pom pan again. Because she is clearly quite gassed after that match. She sounds like Billy Gunn after he won the 1999 King of the Ring. <laughs> it's very good. She does it, though. If she guts it out, you know, she works hard. If she gets it done, you know, and that in this business, that's that's what workers appreciate. She'll go back to the locker room and the Bone Street crew will be sitting there playing rolling dice and they'll <laughs> and they'll be like, Well done, kid, you done you done great out there today. All's well that ends well. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, nice as a big fan of Nodoka Tenma and Nodoka Onesan. Very good to see her bring back the old gimmick again under somewhat ridiculous circumstances. It was a nice match and I had forgotten this happened. So I was very pleased to see this again. David, what were your thoughts on this match in, in general? Yeah, so I enjoyed it. Um, you can kind of see with each year Raku and Palm are kind of coming on and developing more and kind of putting more into their act. It's a bit more fully formed. I enjoyed the silly um, Child's TV presenter gimmick um, and I enjoyed the sort of interactions with it. In terms of my train station for this match, because we were, we were doing the train stations, um, I chose this one as uh, Fort William. Um, the reason being is that if you go to Fort William, it will always be full of annoying children because that is the, the station you get to go on the Harry Potter train. Fort William to Malig. And uh, so you obviously it goes over the Glenfinnan Viaduct for the Hogwarts Express. So you get the steam train from Fort William to Malig. And funny enough, I, re- I remember uh, the last time, <laughs> last season, when we played Arbroath. Now, Arbroath is nowhere near Fort William, but apparently... It was- uh, what happened was that somebody was somebody's day on the Harry Potter train was ruined at Dundee Station. I believe it's Dundee or Stirling because they were getting another train on their way to Fort William, and one of the festival fans on the other train mooned <laughs> their, um, and their children, and their children burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> And she left a really angry TripAdvisor review on the Harry Potter steam train tour. (laughs) Personally, I don't think that was the fault of the people running the Harry Potter steam train. She also signed up to the Pansy Fistle fan group to go to the obnoxious drunk Fistle fan who mooned my children and ruined their day on the Harry Potter train. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's another level of can I speak to the manager? It's like, and I was like, but it's nowhere near Fort William. Like, it takes several hours to get there from Dundee or Sterling. <laughs> but yeah, apparently their whole day was ruined. And I just had that to be the funniest thing ever. Leaving a TripAdvisor <laughs> review and signing up to a school fan group to let them know. It's so good. Uh, but yeah, so Fort William is my train station from this. It, it's, it's good to get more Fort William lore on the podcast because whenever we've mentioned the place before, it has always been in the context of the time Land's End unaccountably ran a show there. Yeah, they said, oh, we're doing a show in Scotland. I'm like, great, where is it? Oh, I'm not telling you. And I, like, messaged, who's the guy that runs Land's End um, again? Ryoji Sai. Ryoji Sai. I, like, messaged his personal Facebook, like, as in hunted him down going, Ryoji, I am the one Land's End fan in Scotland that will come to this show. Tell me where the fuck it is. And he just didn't, he just refused to tell me. And then in the day, I think I still got him as a Facebook friend because of this. But, um... <laughs> Uh, he did, on the day he just posted here we are at the destination it's fucking Fort William I'm like it's so many questions about it but yeah were they trying to get to Land's End and got confused because they thought that it was <laughs> they went the one up north instead <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
one of the most baffling things to happen in the history of British wrestling and the history of tiny indie sleeves feds in Japan. And think of the ground that covers. Who thought that the guy with a notebook that turned up for that supposed zero one show in Glasgow could be beaten for weirdest fucking Japanese tie-in in Scotland? <laughs> Look, Ryoji Sai walked so that Kyogo Furuhashi and Daisen Maeda and all the lads could run. <laughs> so our final match is 4th of January 2023, the first 2023 match that we review on this podcast and will presumably remain the only 2023 match we review on this podcast for some time. It is yet another six-woman tag. And now we get what I think is the platonic ideal of the Tokyo Joshi undercard trio. It is Raku. It's Pom Harajuku. It's Haruna Neko. They're all here. They're all together. The Avengers <laughs> have formed. All the stars are here. <laughs> Absolutely. And their <laughs> opponents, now Kakuta. So we've got her again. And a first appearance on this episode for Kaya Toibami and for Mihiro Kiryu. Mihiro Kiryu is my favourite in Tokyo Joshi. She's not my favourite wrestler. She's actually not particularly good at that, but I enjoy her because she is a huge stand for Mahjong, and I actually found out about one of the professional Mahjong leagues in Japan because of her Twitter, and she is also a huge fan of the footy. In particular, I don't know how this came to be, but she is a fan of Schalke, and she's been to Germany to see Schalke play. She is possibly the only Joshi wrestler I saw tweeting out trivia about Eric Maxim Chupomoting during the World Cup. <laughs> she was doing uh, was it spaces on Twitter for all the games during the World Cup and providing her own commentary and stuff. So yeah, I didn't didn't tune into any of them, but I assume they were fascinating. Yeah, just an incredible vibe. L- love her. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, total support. She's not went the St. Pauli route or, you know, hipster, you know, or I'm into uni on Berlin. No, she's got a team. She sticks by it. Good for her. I presume she has suffered greatly in recent years with how I understand Schalke were doing. Uh, Kaya Toribami, I think this is maybe her one year anniversary. Did she debut at the January 4th, 2022? No, was it just I don't a bit before that? I think I think she was a bit before. Tw- yeah, it was a bit before. I think uh, it was oh yeah, because yeah, she... she she debuted in the autumn of 2021 and then she took a bit of time off to yeah. go to Hungary to shoot a film because her, her shoot occupation, aside from wrestling, is being a stunt woman. Yeah, because I think because Shoko has done a bit of stunt work as well. And I assume the assumption is that that is how she recruited Kaya through that or they kind of got to know each other through that. We, we've all seen Shoko Nakajima, Yuka Sakazaki and Miyu Yamashita in SWAT starring Shamar Moore from Criminal Minds. <laughs> I am fascinated by this woman. She looks like she's been punted straight out of the Super J Cup 94 first round. <laughs> she's definitely lost to Damien 666 in the first round. But I love... Obviously, it's not quite the same hyper missile because she's her own thing. She's in a whole different universe. But I love, in general, in Japanese wrestling, a mass superhero gimmick, or like a mass gimmick, but a, like a, a sort of second, third tier mass gimmick. You know, everyone loves Liger and Sasuke. I, I'm, we've talked about my love of Grand the new one before and stuff like that. I love all those. I'm fascinated by the sort of mid-2000s flotsam and jetsam of masked wrestlers that have all turned up in some seafood promotion 10 years later and stuff like that. Um, you're good at masks, you know. Se- seafood promotion. I, I'm going to start using that as an incredible, incredible phrase that instantly captures what it is you're talking about. It's, it's the Japanese Farmers League, isn't it? Some seafood promotion. <laughs> but yeah, I'm fascinated by it. And I was, oh, my heart skipped a beat 
when I saw that we had a, a seafood promotion wrestler in Tokyo Joshi, I was so happy. <laughs> he is meant to be a type of bird, but it's like, a, I can't even remember what bird it is, but it's like, it's not a bird you would expect it to be. It's a weird bird that she has picked. That's all masked Japanese wrestlers. They're named after a bird, yeah. but you can't say what bird it is. You think it's that bird, it's not that bird. It's a different bird. Yeah. So that's all Japanese wrestlers. Or a fish. Bird well, or a fish. One of the <laughs> she's teaming with Hoon and Echo in the upcoming tag leagues. They're like the ultimate can they coexist at Cat and a Bird. <laughs> no doubt why they've been put together. Raku Gear update. I think most of the roster got new gear for this show. January 4th tends to be the, the refresh of the yeah. gear in TJPW. Raku's was particularly distinctive. So it's the kind of thing she's been sporting for the last couple of years, except it has a bunch of multicolored pom poms on it. She looked a little bit like a Christmas tree. That going more great. cake slash Christmas tree with every year, basically. It's, yes. And I, I don't know if the palms are a deliberate palm thing, if it's just her showing her love of palm by saying the word palm a lot, but going full pom-pom. But yeah, it's quite a look. I can't wait for like January 4th, 2029, when Raku is essentially turned into a showstopper from the Bake Off and a train themed <laughs> episode. <laughs> that, that's where we're getting to. Raku has had quite the year, maybe not so much in terms of her actual matches, but certainly, well, actually, no, she she has been involved in some great matches. But I was thinking in particular the entrance she did with Chairman Ram at uh, whichever show that was, where they came out as a couple of newlyweds. I actually wrote about that for Marshmallow Bomb in the roundup of 2022. Just an incredible look. Ram coming out in a suit in this trilby. Raku with a bridal train with actually some trains on it. I tell you what, the gays loved that. Like a lot of the queer wrestling fans I know were all over that. And actually like in a country like Japan where there is no provision for equal marriage as of yet, it did feel gently subversive as well. But as far as the matches go, the whole saga of Max the Impaler versus Pom Harajuku and to a lesser extent Raku, but also to a very major extent Raku, that utterly perfect squash match between Max and Pom, one of my favourite matches of last year, and Raku's rolling that, Pom trying to run away, Raku dragging her physically back to the ring, and then pushing her inside, and just giving a little, gambate <laughs> it's so fucking funny it's so good isn't it, it's so just good sadistic. It's, that, I love it and the amazing Max and their weird friends versus Arja and her weird friends and uh, Raku and Pom being involved in that as well the triumvirate of Arja Kong, Raku and Pom Harajuku never not incredible it's a perfect sort of monster versus monster encounter because I think a good parallel for me was you remember the Elimination Chamber 2010 and it was just Undertaker and Big Daddy V mauling everybody else in the cage and then just fighting each other. All the other four people were just chaff to kind of get murdered. I really like that for that because it's, you're not just having the Azure Kong Max brawl, you're teasing it up and you're getting like so many people getting crushed at the same time. It's, it's the perfect sort of match formula. It's not one you'd see very often, but I really loved it. Not really. Spiritually, it's kind of like, this is a weird comparison, but bear with me. Spiritually, it was kind of like some of them Jumbo and Friends versus Misawa and Friends tag matches from like 1991 in the sense that there is a top dog in each team and then there's a bunch of people who are weaker than them and the match is structured around the differentials of power between the various wrestlers on the on the teams. Funny bit from Chris Brooks on commentary, very pleased with himself at getting Raku's train in the day and saying, you know, I know that because I asked her beforehand. <laughs> I look this what train a journalist. Up and it, it's a Kotatsu train that follows the coast. So you can go and get 
a Kotatsu on this train, sit in this nice little thing, and it follows the coast, the Sanriku coastline, and it looks like the greatest train in the world. It's now like, this is a high-quality train. <laughs> that that sounds absolutely incredible. I would love to travel uh, on that. Yeah. Unless there's someone like Nagoya Grand Pacific fan drunkenly in the next train who moons you and then you're in your entire day. <laughs> He's got a tattoo of Gary Lineker on his arse cheek. <laughs> Um, and our song once again is upper kick so our upper kick count stands at four so we are not getting the it's actually an upper girls song we haven't got yet which is a shame because i think it's probably my favorite song that they do it's called uh, makinakinai which i believe means i don't want to lose that's probably my favorite of their songs but we get upper kick once again i feel like hikari gave it more oomph this year yeah I've got that in my notes. She actually looks like she's quite enjoying it, which is, is unusual for her at this point. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of the best performances we've had musically and visually. I've got a theory as to why this might be. So after it, they bring out uh, Shino, who is the new up of girl. So they had an audition last year to bring the group back up to four members. And they've got this girl, Shino, who used to be a guide on a bus tour. Like, you know, the open top bus she's, tour. She's there. the bus up-up girl. We've got a train one. We now have the buses covered <laughs> all as well. All the major transport <laughs> types. When are we getting a CalMac ferry up-up girl? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that is because they were announcing new auditions. So maybe this is it. They're off to find the ferry up-up girl. Well, this is what I mean. They announced that they're going to be auditioning for a fifth up-up girl. It's like, this is madness. This is too many up This is like they're being two popes. There's just too many of them. But my pet theory is they're bringing a fifth one so that Hikari can finally sack it off. Oh, she has to, like, pass the Horcrux on to someone else. And, yeah. <laughs> you get to be Hikari now. So this match starts with Pom Harajuku making some of the most viscerally unpleasant noises I've ever heard. And I listened to a Dark Throne album this morning. She seems to have added that to her repertoire since 2022 she's always been about making weird noises but these are especially horrible ones this is because in the last year i guess as part of raku's development she has started regularly taking a pillow to the ring with her to help her send people to sleep and it seems to be because raku has also developed magic and sorcery i don't think we've mentioned the magic and sorcery as she no, calls we, it we have where she, she has the power to send people to sleep with a lullaby and i think this is meant to be palm doing her version of a lullaby which is less a gentle rocking off to sleep and more kind of a screeching at you until you just pretend to be asleep so that she'll shut up for a bit i think is the kind of general <laughs> i mean it worked because it got the other team in the position for the goodnight express at a quite early stage in the match I love the idea of Raku having like great Muta lore. Just we're gonna get like a VHS in ten years of like the origins of Raku and find out she was actually like found in an asteroid in Siberia like eight hundred years ago or something like that. Or... <laughs> it would explain a lot. Raku's profile then comes up on the screen. So for all of them, it says what their New Year's resolutions are. And hers is to win the DDT Ironman Heavy Metal Weight title. Look, they always say make achievable New Year's resolutions. And seeing as every cunt's had a run with that belt at some point, I think that's actually a very good one to do. Kind of amazing that she hasn't won it already, to be honest. Yeah. DDT have shows on trains. How have they not had Raku win the Ironman title on a train? That feels like the easiest open goal in the world. Can Raku get up there in the same pantheon as luminaries such as Rice and Junekiyama. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and win the DDT. I mean, I think this should all be our New Year's resolution to win the DDT Ironman Heavy Metalweight Championship. How easy do you think it is to win? Could any of us win it? Yes, of course. Like, fair enough, I'm only barely more active than an inanimate object, but I, I definitely think that I could, yes. No, no, I mean, you I went think, to... could you engineer your, yourself into a situation where you've got a chance to win it? Do you think you could engineer that situation? I know people who could, I'm sure. Yeah. They occasionally send it off to like America for like a month. And I reckon if you turned up to a random indie show in America that it was on, you could quite easily convince someone to let you win it for five seconds. Pen Remus. Like Joey Janella. Yeah, Joey Janella <laughs> or someone like that would quite happily give him a few beers and ask him to let you win the title and he would do it, I reckon. I, I think DDT has missed a trick. They should have sold off the individual grains of rice from that rice bowl that won the Iron Man title. You know how like in medieval times the Catholic Church would sell off pieces of the true cross and they would just appear in relics across churches. They should have done that with that rice bowl. I saw a mochi I, win it when I was in Japan and I was definitely drunk enough by the end of that show that if they'd been selling bits of it for like a thousand yen, I probably would have bought it. <laughs> Take so. a big bite out of it. <laughs> if I was DDT, I'm absolutely selling a rain. You get 20 minutes of it. It's not out it. of the realms of probability because famously, Giant Barber paid Jack Briscoe 20 grand to win the NWA World Heavyweight title for a week because he reckoned the prestige that would accrue to him from that was worth that outlay. This was 20 grand in the 70s as well. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of fucking money. Kiryu, her thing seems to be apologising for stuff. She has like an apology yeah. of the day. Uh, to be That's... fair, be, being British, trains of the day and apologies of the day often go hand in hand. <laughs> Certainly in recent times, yeah. I hope someone has added Raku to let her know that basically poor people are greenick for many reasons, but specifically none of them can get a train for about four weeks because every train station is submerged underwater and they can't like drain the water. So it's been like at least two or three weeks. <laughs> it's just they're all fucked. Get, all get fucked. a Raku humanitarian mission to Greenock going to bring <laughs> them trains. <laughs> It's terrible. Do you, do you think if we tweeted about Raku supporting the RMT strike, she would like it? I think she oh, would. No, I think she would, however, and we may have to cut this in case there is any. Actually, no, I don't care because, you know, fuck them. But <laughs> I have a theory, right? Pretty much all train spotters, the vast majority of them, France's bourgeois, fucking definitely, are all scabs. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, like they resent the fact that their hobby has been derailed. Pardon the pun. Hey, hey. hey but they can't go see the trains because they're on strike. And I'm like, these guys run the trains you love. Fucking super. No. I had an argument with a guy on Twitter about this when the strikes first started to happen. And it's like, look, if your main concern is with the actual vehicles and tracks rather than the people who actually run them, you're not actually a fan of trains, you're a fan of railways. I absolutely agree with that. Absolute scab behaviour. And I think Raku would condemn. So, uh, I mean, she wants to be a station manager. So, you know, if she's going to support them, this is, this is her chance to uh, get off on the right she, foot with it, them all. She needs a yin-yin behind her to give her the backing. <laughs> R.I.P. Bob Crow, you would have loved the Goodnight Express. <laughs> um, so after Kiryu does her apology of the day, Haruna Neko goes, old school. I love that move, whoever's doing it. And Pom is then in with her. I've got here clubbing forearms. I have to say, they don't look like they're really doing much impact at all and makes more just awful noises, horrible to the ear. Kiryu counters Pom's head scissors 
but uh, Pom gets it on the second attempt, and Raku comes in with what we now know as her regular hot tag type stuff. So chops the Russian leg sweep. <laughs> Just remind you, did either of you guys ever used to watch this web series called Hogan versus Flair? Sure did. It was basically an e-fed using specifically SmackDown Shut Your Mouth. And the conceit of it was that Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, they were the captains of teams. And there was like this whole like team challenge series going on. And the colour commentator on it was just a guy doing a macho man Randy Savage impression. And there's a bit where someone did that movie just goes, anyone, even you can do a Russian leg sweep. <laughs> so we get a little bit of bird versus cat action. I like Kaya Toribami's moveset because she's still pretty rough. But I like the fact she is trying interesting things like the fancy kicks. She does this flipping senton off of the second rope. I don't think she ever knows where she's going to land. On this occasion, it was right on Haruna Neko's right leg. That thing has like a 25% success rate, I would say. (laughs) Like sometimes she slips, sometimes she lands in a random place. But she she always goes for it, to give her credit. She's ambitious with it. Yeah, you can't win the she's... raffle if you don't have a ticket. You, know, you can't win the raffle if you don't have a ticket. And now we get Naokakuta and Haruneko again. So the chemistry that we enjoyed so much in the previous match is on show here for sure. Neko hits the rolling code breaker, which is quite compact. So the rolling part always looks great. Does it in the ropes? That was really cool. And then does this Lucha Maestro looking submission type thing before absolutely eating shit off a flatliner. Then in probably my favorite spot of the match, gets a schoolboy for two. And then after the kick out, she kind of just rolls back onto now into something very akin to that finisher that Saida does in stardom, where it's kind of like they're just basically the lying Idabashi. on them. The Idabashi, yeah. yeah, yeah, just like lying on them and like squishing them down. So that was really cool. Pom and Raku come in and run wild and take out the other two, but unfortunately to no avail because Naokakuta gets the win over Haruneko with some kind of TKO slash Stone Cold Stunner type thing. And that is the match, I have to say. It was very standard. I think unlike a lot of the matches we've reviewed here, there wasn't anything to set it apart like an Kong appearance or Nodoka and Asan bringing back the gimmick. But, you know, it's one of those matches where, okay, we've got nothing for you. And so you're going to get stuck in that. But I have to say the standard of such a match was much higher than it would have been five years ago. That is for certain. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good indication of how TJPW, I guess, as a whole company has changed. Whereas if you'd put this match on in that first show we watched, it would have probably been pretty rough. I mean, not all of them had debuted at that point, but if you had them all like the equivalent wrestling in this position on the card, well, I mean, we basically watched it with the Up Up Girls debut and it's very rough around the edges. Whereas they've now hit the point where these mid-card matches, they're always pretty short. There was a really nice balance between Palm and Raku doing silly things, Neko being a cat, now kicking people. They've kind of just nailed this formula and they're all at least decent wrestlers. Like they're not going to do anything horrific. They're not going to drop anyone on their heads or whatever. It's just good, clean fun, I guess, in some ways. And yeah. it's where the mid card is hit by this point where you can basically rely on them to just have a fun match. Yeah, and very often it's wrestlers who are in more or less the same position that they were pre-pandemic. They've not Mm. progressed a huge amount in terms of their position on the car, but they have progressed in terms of what they're capable of in the ring. David, before we do some closing thoughts, what station was this match? Uh, I had a wee look. I had to think long and hard about this one. I remembered Haruna Neko was in this match, and Haruna Neko was purring at her feline finest in this match. So I looked up Famous Train Station Cats, 
Um, now, I've limited this to UK train stations because obviously there's the famous Japanese one, Tama in Kishi Station. However, I found Felix at Huddersfield train station. Felix, he isn't just any train station cat. He was there for five years of service and he was awarded, the, or she, sorry, was awarded the coveted title of Pest Control Manager, um, a job highly <laughs> sought after in the feline world. She's knuckled down. She's done the work. She's in with the union. She's helping people out. <laughs> she was given a high vis for when she was on duty. That's um, very cute. And a hat and a name badge. And someone wrote a novel about her. So I say Huddersfield Training Station just purely because they have a quite famous cat in there. And Haruna Neko is definitely is living up to the billing of being a cat. Writing a novel about a train station cat in Huddersfield, that's got Luke Healy written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very is spiritually him. It's very Flukkakor, isn't it? <laughs> it absolutely <laughs> is. So I think we should just finish with some closing thoughts on Raku. What I would say is that doing this little project of ours, going through all of the Raku January 4th matches, it starts off as a joke, as I said at the outset of this, but I think it's maybe actually have some thoughts about the nature of well, not just Raku's role in this company, but of any similar wrestler's role in, in their companies. And I think what it shows is that not everyone can be a main eventer and not everyone should be a main eventer. And I would even argue that not everyone on your roster needs to be this super skilled mat wizard. I would actually argue you need people who are never going to be a Mitsuharu Misawa to make the truly dazzling workers in the promotion seem all that more impressive. But I do think that she has certainly improved. And at the end of the day, like, she's good in her role. The crowd like her. She's got likability in spades. She's certainly the weakest of the in-ring wrestlers of the extant up-up girls. But I have to say that she's just fun. And sometimes that's all wrestling has to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, Raku is honestly one of my favorite wrestlers because of that exact thing. As someone who watches and writes about a lot of TJPW. The main events and things are great. They are. They're some of my favourite main events too. But you can basically guarantee that Raku and Palm and Neko and all that, they're probably going to do something very silly in their matches and it's probably going to make me laugh. And they're probably going to just have a nice little 10-minute match that isn't going to blow your mind from a wrestling point of view. But it's been a long time since I watched one of them and didn't just come out of it going, yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was a very pleasant time. I've seen some people have a fun time do what they do very well. And you're right, you can't have an entire roster of Mio Yumashtas or whoever because it just doesn't work. You need the Rakus in there to just do this, basically, to have these matches that fill the early part of the card. And I think, I can't remember if you said it earlier in the show or what, but it, like it's that PWG thing where if every match is treated like a main event, it's exhausting. And you need a Raku in there to come out and just have a nice time and kind of hold the fort down to let the main events feel special. Uh, I'm going to make a, an odd comparison here, but it's very Butlins, isn't it? It's basically oh, yeah. it's British Butlins wrestling. And I love yeah. British Butlins wrestling and Panto wrestling at the pavilion, you know, American Super Slam wrestling and all that. Like, it's not so far removed from that. And like that absolutely has a place. It's a dying art. Certainly in the like, Western wrestling, you don't really get it as much because a lot of the sort of humour is a bit arch. But this is, this is a little bit different. And, it's just good fun. Like you'll never, as you say, you'll never go watch a Raku match and not enjoy it or have a good time. And ultimately, 
don't you just want to have your mood improved by watching a wrestling match? Doesn't really matter how it does it, and it does it every time. So you you can't sniff at that. No, absolutely. And I think as great as the main events have gotten in Tokyo Joshi, if you if you actually are a subscriber to Marshmallow Bomb, you can read my article called TJPW is King's Road, which I think is a provocative thesis that I was able to fully justify. But I think as good as those main events have gotten, you can't have everything like that. And also, it really wouldn't be true to why people fell in love with Tokyo Joshi in the first place when it was first getting popular mm-hmm. if you didn't have weird wacky shit like this so what i'm saying is ultimately raku does need to go into the wrestling observer hall of fame yeah i've really enjoyed watching her matches i'll continue to do so in the future and i've enjoyed talking about her with you fine gentlemen now before we wrap up shall we plug our shit so i run a party festival podcast called draw lose or draw it's an odd time to be a festival fan it's it's exciting we know with the the fan ownership has came in. We don't have any money, but, you know, we're in control of that and we're doing quite well in the league. And it's, you know, it's a good time. We're doing weekly episodes at the moment, trying to do some other things in February, March time, trying to do an episode on the Tenant Sixes, which is a, a mythical six-a-side tournament that we won. And we're the last ever team to win it and the trophy's still at Hill. And I'm going to try and do an episode on that. They're doing a reunion dinner for the, the Tenant Sixes winners in a couple of weeks. So we're trying to do something with that. And yeah, just lots of silly things with that coming up as we win the championship and go into the premiership. So draw, lose or draw. And we'll, we'll talk about Marshmallow Bomb earlier. As George mentioned, I wrote a piece about Maxi and Paler and the lads against Azure Kong and the lads um, for Marshmallow Bomb in December for the year in review. So have a look at that. Fastbuck.bandcamp.com for some not good music, but music. Um, <laughs> certainly <and> music. <laughs> certainly music. And yeah, just, you know, just keep watching the skis. As always, Stuart, what you got for us? So I guess you can go and check out ramblingsaboutwrestling.com, which is a wrestling website I have been doing for several years. I'd be quite confident in saying that if you're looking for stuff about Raku, that there is probably no bigger depository of writing about people like Raku and Palm than my website, because I have reviewed nearly every TJPW show of the last few years. And whenever I get the chance, I will lax lyrical about your Rakus and Palms of the world. So yeah, there is loads of stuff about them, loads of other reviews, a whole bunch of stuff going on there. I'm also now writing for Marshmallow Bomb. Luke has basically given me freedom to do reviews of anything I want on there. So there will probably be even more chat about Raku and Palm and so on in there. The last thing I did was a marvellous review of the most recent Marvellous show where Rin Kadakora announced she's heading off to Canada. So my thoughts on that and the rest of the show as well. And then I guess you could just follow me on Twitter, Everson83, I-V-E-R-S-E-N, and then 83 for the year Aberdeen won the Cup Winners' Cup. So there oh, you is go. that what uh, it is? I was, yes, I was, I was thinking about it because I was like, he's not fucking 40. <laughs> that, makes, that makes a lot of sense now. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, I needed a number and I went for, went for one of the ones I'd remember. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thank you very much. I myself have to plug also a member of the Marshmallow Bomb Collective. So if you'd like to subscribe to that, it is uh, on Substack. There is also some of my writing on I maintain the double foot stomp is silly.com. I've posted all sorts of shite in there. You can go check it out. 
you can follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Lord Tenpai. I am a competitive Richie Mahjong player as of a few years ago. I haven't been streaming much Mahjong lately because I had some shite results that left me feeling a little bit discouraged and like I needed to take a break. But I've been doing such things as playing some deck builders, doing my kanji practice and stuff like that. It's generally a, a fun, chilled time. You can follow us as a podcast on Twitter at Puro Podcast. We have a Discord as well, so do feel free to message us for the link to that if uh, if Twitter does go tits up and you would like to stay in touch because, yeah, God knows we're going to need somewhere to flee to. I'm not going back to fucking Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Stitcher Radio. You can also purchase my novel, The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan, for your Kindle for £2.49, a print-on-demand paperback for... I don't know, 18 quid or something. There is um, at least one person in this room who's read it and enjoyed it. So um, not my words, the words of Stuart Everson. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I, got, I, I got it for Christmas one year. So there you go. Wow, that, that's absolutely lovely. Thank you for the ringing endorsement. <laughs> I thought you were going to make the joke here that neither me or Stuart have read it. And there's at least one person in this room who's read it. Like <laughs> I don't know who he actually has. Yes, so two people, I would guess. Yeah, um, no, it's, and... it's very good. I recommend it. I recommend it heartily. Thank you very much and that is it in terms of plugs so do tune in later in the year where i swear to god we will be finishing our series on wrestlers from the former soviet union in japan we'll be finishing big egg podcasting universe so thank you very much for listening i have been george thompson signing off for david forrest and Stuart everson and we'll see you next time on the purple podcast Right, so what I'm going to do is just just for, for the uninitiated, which is one of you. Um, so I'll just do the intro as usual. I'll introduce David and introduce yourself, Stuart. Yeah. We'll do a little bit of the intro. We'll go into the New Japan Rambo, and we're not going to show our hand as to what we're actually going to review until I give the say so, which is which you'll know when that is. But to all intents and purposes, until I do the reveal that we're actually going to be reviewing every Raku Itenion match, we are just going to say we're going to do the January 4th wrestling. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Inducting you into the sacred brotherhood of carrying on a bit for long after it ceases to be funny. Pee 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 p